This is Jocko Podcast number 185 with Echo Charles and me, Jocko Willink. Good evening, Echo. Good evening. You get one shot, and that's it. And in the end, you're going into the ground. Regardless of what you believe the afterlife consists of or what it doesn't consist of, as far as what you get to hold on to once you leave here is nothing. And I implore people all the time to make it count. Because this is it. This is the finals. There are no redos. You can't hit the rewind button. And even worse, you can't even hit the pause button. There's no way you can stop the clock from ticking. No possible way. The countdown is on. And the days are finite. You only get so many. And then it's over. So until them make them count, make all of them count. And on the podcast today, I have a guest a fellow frogman whom to the best of my knowledge is doing his best to make his days count his name is Mitch Aguiar and we just met each other but like I said he's a frogman he likes jujitsu he likes to get after it so my guess is we should have some things to talk about so Mitch welcome to the podcast thanks for having me Good, good to meet you. Yeah, good to meet you as 15 well. 15 minutes ago. Yep. <laughs> picked you up at the airport. I think we uh, linked up some way on social media. Correct. And you were in the AO doing some training. And so here you are. Cool. Where'd you grow up? Uh, I grew up in Virginia Beach and then uh, was there till about 11, then moved to Maryland and uh, lived with my dad. Was there till about 16. And then so wait, grew up in Virginia Beach, parents in the military? Yep. My mom and dad were both in the Navy. Both in the NAV. That's right. Check. And uh, my mom was an OS, and my dad was a combat camera man with a dev group. Okay, right on. And and so then you were there until you said you were 11? Yeah, I was in uh, Virginia Beach till I was 11. They were divorced, and my dad had gotten out of the Navy and was living up in uh, Maryland working at the Aberdeen Proving Ground Okay, sure. and doing high-speed photography there and, uh, you know, filming tank rounds mm-hmm. and all kinds of cool explosives and stuff like that. And uh, He had, like, a wicked cool job before a, it was a, cool. A wicked cool job, yeah. And uh, so I went up there and lived with him for a while. And then uh, around 16, uh, moved up to Ohio. My mom had uh, moved up to Ohio. My stepdad was also in the Navy. And um, he had gotten out, and they'd started a business up in Ohio. And I went and lived with her up there. 
and uh, finished out high school in Ohio, um, 10th or yeah, 10th, 11th, 12th grade, and then joined the Navy from there. What what uh, what was high school like? What sports were you playing? I was playing uh, football, basketball, lacrosse, and uh, yeah, that was it. Were you and good? Were you a good athlete? I was uh, a good athlete, and I was also <laughs> into uh, some uh, sports that weren't at our school. I was on a arm wrestling team oh, right and on. a dodgeball team, like a traveling dodgeball team. Hell yeah. A traveling dodgeball team. It was it was by far my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> Like how how many games would you play in dodgeball in a day? No, in like a season. What's the season? Oh. The dodgeball season. Well, you know, there's practice, obviously, and uh, if if you take it serious, like we did, uh, we we practice like three times a week, and then we we would uh, travel on the weekends for tournaments. What balls do you use? Uh, we would some some leagues are different, uh, but mainly it's those kickballs that you see. So like the rubber red kick. rubber ones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How many people are on the team each side? Um, there was it was like six or seven people per team, or and then we had like a couple substitutes, you know, so. in case there was injuries. Injuries, in you know, you, just like any other sport, man. You had your uh, first string your starters. And then yeah. you, but you didn't wrestle. I did not wrestle. I, I, and did, you, and you I didn't wrestle. That, like, I didn't uh, run cross country. I didn't swim. I didn't do anything in high school that would uh, be useful in my ongoing adventures. Well, football, basketball. I mean, you're becoming an athlete. You're yeah, coordinating. I mean, yeah, you're training sure. hard. Like uh, just in general, I would, well, I would say that competition mindset, you know, um, that and just, yeah, being an athlete overall, uh, that was always something that was just ingrained in me. You know, my both my mom and dad, and they were really competitive, like always had us in sports growing up, my brother and I. And, um, yeah, I always loved the competition side of things, you know. And I, I actually, like, hate working out still to this day. Like, I just I don't really enjoy it, but – if, if there's some sort of comp competition involved in it or, you know, competitiveness, that's that's what I really like. Chuck. So you get done with high school, you're and you what makes you join the Navy? Um, honestly, I was I was just bored. Uh, I was living in Ohio and it sucked <laughs> there. And uh, the, I, there was just nothing there that I wanted. How long after you graduated high school did you join the Navy? Uh, a couple months. Did you did you go in the dive fair program to be in the teams, or did you just want to be in just in the navy? No, I originally. Um, I mean, it 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 wasn't planned out at all. Uh, I was I was working three different jobs. Uh, I was a uh, a, a roofer, which I really really loved. That was that was a great job, and um, I worked at my. My parents, like, they owned a deli slash convenience store kind of thing. I worked there, and I was um, a lifeguard at Kalahari, and I and I was a surf instructor. You said Kalahari. I don't even know what that is. It's, it's, it's the world's largest indoor water park. Oh, okay. And, and they have waves there? Yeah. They have a flow rider, like a couple flow rider machines. Oh, the thing that I'm shoots sure water those. off the plastic yeah, yeah. type thing? Yeah, it creates an artificial wave. So I would... Uh, I was on the competition team and I would like give people lessons on how to ride that thing. 
<laughs> so between that and dodgeball, yeah. we were kind of dialed in uh, yeah. for some for some action. That's right. That's a good setup. So you recommend if someone wants to get a career of special operations, they focus on dodgeball and, and arm and, wrestling and, <laughs> and uh, surf, surfing. Awesome. It's pretty uh, much a formula for success. Formula for success. And so you're 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 doing these jobs, and you're you're not having a good time with <laughs> yeah whatever. I, I I was you know um, not a very good uh, uh, studious uh, student in high school. Um, you know, I, high school was more of like a socialization for me. Like I really enjoyed uh, going there to socialize. I really enjoyed you know making friends, and I liked sports and. Uh, and I was always, I always loved working and making money, you know, like school was just kind of uh, in the way. I'd kind of, you know, at the time I just had zero interest in any sort of classwork whatsoever. <laughs> and um, I don't even understand how I, somehow I, I had graduated. Yeah. And um, then, you know, I was like, yeah, I'm definitely going to do something in life. I don't know what. <laughs> Um, I'm assuming it'll be good, though. You know, I, I just don't know what it is. And and my teachers were kind of in that same uh, mindset. There, you know, half of them were just like, "Man, they're, you're hopeless. Like, there's you're just gonna work at Burger King, whatever." And then the other halves were just like, "Yeah, you're gonna do something great. It's definitely not gonna be in school. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, who knows what it is?" And I was just kind of in that, you know, glass half full. Uh, I was thinking the same thing and uh, I didn't know what it was honestly like I said I was roofing and I really loved uh, roofing but you know I was making minimal money and um, I knew that that wasn't going to be it so I was in the area I knew that nothing around the area interested me you know there was nothing that I wanted to pursue around there I was young I was 18 you know, my my mom and dad were both, and my stepdad were were all in the Navy at at points in their life, and you know, had talked about the benefits of the military. My dad was always trying to get me to go in the military, and I, I just wasn't interested at all. And um, yeah, that was never really even a consideration until quite literally, like I was just bored and the recruiter happened to walk in and catch me and was like, Hey, you want to join the Navy? And I was like, sure. Why not? <laughs> and, uh, <clears throat> and, uh, I was at first I was going to do, um, mastered arms. Like I was like, Oh, you know, I've always, I've always had like a kind of respect for police. Um, my grandfather's a poli- uh, police officer. My uncle's still a police officer. And that was something that I felt like, you know, it was a courageous job and, and a, a helpful, useful one or whatever, you know, and <clears throat> I figured that I could, I've always been real protective as well. So like, I figured that job would kind of maybe be fitting for me. Um, so he, he had asked me, you know, Hey, yeah, you want to join the Navy? And I was like, okay. And then I, I thought I'll, I'll go that route. And uh, he was like, "Well, you look like you're in good shape. Do you wanna do you wanna be a seal?" And I was like, uh, "What are those uh, sneaky guys? You know the <laughs> the the only thing I knew about seals was uh, from that commercial where the where the they're on the beach or it's a scene and it's on the beach and the clouds roll over the moon and then 
they they like pass the and there's footprints yeah or whatever and so that's all i knew about navy seals and i was like oh those guys what year sneaky. is this this was 2007 dang so you're watching the wars are going on all through high school you're seeing all that stuff take place mm-hmm. well 9-11 happened when i was in seventh grade yeah you were probably boots on ground or something there I well i mean i was i was um yeah i had been in for like 11 years at that point because yeah. i joined in 90 so i was born so, in 89 <laughs> yeah yeah so i'm i'm a little bit older than you are Correct. apparently <laughs> yeah, so, so, so did you not did you realize like um so this was your first kind of connection because for me when i was growing up like every time some kind of war event happened i was all bummed out that i wasn't there because i was too young and that's just the way i was i was always thinking about that i was always into the military but you were kind of like not i was the total opposite like i i wanted nothing to do with with the military i wanted nothing to do with like i'd never even thought about it uh, my dad was just you know he was in and he was a combat cameraman with dev group so obviously he was you know really involved with with it and uh Anytime he would try and talk to me, about it, I'm just like, I'm, I'm not interested. I'm mm. not I'm not going to join the fucking military. You but know? you don't know what what flipped the switch? Just mega boredom? Yeah. Just, <laughs> just I just, you know, I was like, well, worst case scenario, I know and I'm in for in the Navy for four years. I'll go see the world a yeah. little bit. I'll, you know, gain some life experience and worst case i get out and i'm fucking 22 yeah like who cares i'm not going to college i know that you know i high school was i barely made it through that and just not because i was stupid just because i just man just wasn't your scene oh my god i'd rather <laughs> do hell week 10 times in a row than write an essay you know <laughs> so you get in the navy and do you prepare at all like for <laughs> I had never run like further than a mile and like I all my sprint all my sports stuff was all sprinting I mean those dodgeballs are only you know <laughs> dodgeball courts are small yeah they're co- they're they're short so it's just I was always a really fast sprinter and uh that was kind of all I really cared about I I didn't even I was also I also like now looking back how stupid I was and just how dumb you are at 18 like you think you really like no oh, yeah. when you're 18 you really like you're like man you know you look back at when you're 10 and yeah. you're like man I know so much yeah. now I just compared to my God, seven year old self compared I'm to brilliant. my <laughs> compared to my eight year old self like I didn't even know what I was doing now I'm a I'm a man you yeah. know I know what what life's about but at that point obviously now I'm 30 looking back at that I'm just like man you're so dumb but I really was and. Uh, just really inexperienced with life. I had never, like I said, run really further than a mile. Um, I didn't even understand like that people did that. I'd heard about like marathons and stuff, but um, you know, I remember when you know when when I had heard that I had to run like a mile and a half for the PST. I was just like, what in the fuck? Like, why? What? And then and then like I told my dad that I signed up for the the SEAL teams. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to be a SEAL. And he's just like, you have no idea what you just signed up for. I didn't even know I had to go to Bud's. <clears throat> and then uh, <laughs> so he, he, 
<laughs> I was just like, yeah, I'm going to be a SEAL. What's wrong with that? Like, and he uh, he bought me the the two three four documentary, mm-hmm. and um, we sat down and watched that. And I remember like just watching the the four mile timed run, and I was just <laughs> thinking like, is that even possible? Like, do people really do that? And I was just thinking like, Jesus Christ! Like this is I'm going to have to do all of this shit. Oh my God! I better start running i better start training so did you start running and training yeah i mean i i I went out and uh you know actually back up before i even saw that the first um the first introduction i had to buds was i or navy seals in general once i signed the like i signed up i was like all right i'm gonna be a navy seal i better do some research so i went out and got navy seals with charlie sheen and I watched that, and that was my very first introduction to what Navy SEALs were. And I was just like, man, looks pretty intense. <laughs> pretty cool, though. And, uh, you know, in the scene the scene in that movie, they say it's buds, but it's obviously not because it's, like, in the woods, and they're, like, there's, like, grenades going off, and they're, like, they're like uh, army crawling under barbed wire, and and he's like, "This is buds," you know, like it was just like this crazy scene or whatever. <laughs> and I was just thinking, like, "Damn, I got to go through all that." All right, better. So I went out and bought some fucking camo pants. I bought some boots, like just leather boots, uh-huh. and um, there. And I went for a run uh, down my street. And I remember it was like a mile or I did. I was like, I have to run a mile and a half. So I'm going to see how this goes. And I, and I went and got those pants and got suited up. <laughs> fucking And I was just thinking like, oh man, this is going to be hard. But, and then, and then my dad got the, uh, the two, three, four documentary. And, and then I was just like, oh, okay. I really just have no fucking idea what I just signed up for. And I was just thinking like, damn. That looks really hard, but I already told everyone that I was going to do this. And I was just kind of that, you know, that's one good thing about being 18 and you're just young and dumb and stubborn. And, you know, luckily I used the, the, the good of that to get through, I guess. So you get in the, I was going to say, you know, my, 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 uh, dive motivator was Mike Noss. Do you know him? Yes, I I know who it is. I don't I yeah. don't like know him personally, but um, well, he's he's an old Vietnam yeah. frogman uh, plank owner at at uh, Damneck, and he he came in and he's a tall guy and he walks with like a kind of a, a big limp because he had like a hip replacement. He still, still swims like a fish, and uh, he actually taught me how to do the side stroke the day before my PST. So it was like pretty steep learning curve. Yeah, that's that is. I always tell people um, not to make decisions when they're super emotional, and so I'm going to start adding: don't make decisions when you're super just bored. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you might end up at buds. <laughs> so you show up there. You show up to buds, and you must have, you know, obviously you made it through. Was there any? What was your? What was tough for you and buds? Running, running was definitely. Uh, I mean, obviously, that's like what you do the most of, mm-hmm. and um, man, it was just—I went from no running ever to running my ass off, just everywhere, and uh, and those timed runs, man, I was just fucking 
having a lot of conversations with, with Jesus <laughs> on those runs and just, you know, giving it everything I fucking had just to make the cutoff on those on those runs. And then and then I, I eventually I became like a pretty good runner just right. from doing it. And uh um but yeah I was I was for sure captain of the goon squad mm-hmm. and uh but luckily all those fucking dodgeball sprints were paying off in the goon squad so <laughs> it was it was nice uh in the goon squad i felt comfortable did you get rolled for anything in boats? yeah I, I got rolled um uh for uh some i had real bad shin splints from from just running the, from yeah. the the lack of running previous and uh but other yeah got rolled dealt with that and like i said i picked up like from running so much i just got good at it and i was like young so adapted well i guess yeah it's, it pays to be young in buds in my opinion yeah well, from a physical perspective physical yeah for sure with like dealing with uh overuse injuries i mean because you're definitely gonna just they're obviously just gonna fucking ream your ass and then you have to get up and go yeah but. i was talking to uh one of the medical guys there who came from like a sports environment, like the, I think the NFL, it was either the N- I think it was the NFL. And do you remember the, uh, I think it's patella femoral syndrome. Did you ever know anyone that got that there? Mm-mm. Anyways, there's a bunch of people that get this, this, this patella femoral syndrome, you know, there, and he said, yeah, at buds, I would see 10 cases a week of patella femoral syndrome. It's where your patella like rubs against your, your femur or something and he said in the nfl you'd see like one of these every year maybe one a year and so these guys that would come to buds for from a physical what was athletic trainer perspective would learn so much because they're just getting these mat these bodies are just going through abuse like no other bodies and so they see all those all these common injuries that you get to your knees your your shoulders your back like that's what you go to buds as an athletic trainer you learn and as a doctor you learn so much about how to deal with these things because you see 10 times more than you would or more than you would anywhere else yeah i believe it but i've also talked to people who say like I was young too going through buds. How old were you? 18. Okay. And so you get the um you get the you get the mind of hey, I just do whatever they tell me to do, you know. But there's some people that say have told me they didn't think they were mature enough at 18 or 19 to go through buds. Um I for sure was not I don't want to say I wasn't mature enough to go through because obviously I did and I made it through. However, you say like what or ask like what my biggest struggle at buds was was definitely my maturity i mean physically like physically it was running like just uh i was never a long distance runner obviously um sprinting i was fast as fuck sprinting and i was really strong on the log and like the boats the boats on heads was extremely surprising to me i like i remember seeing it on the videos and thinking like okay that's kind of weird like why are they running around boats on their heads (laughs) like and then uh i didn't think it was going to be painful because they're they're like inflatable the rubber boats or whatever and then when they put the thing on your head i was just like jesus christ this thing is smashing my fucking neck did the instructors jump around in the boats when you went through because they stopped doing it at some point they would uh like some of the little guys would like jump and hang on the handles and 
and shit like that when when you're running but yeah you definitely knew when they were on the boats because they got a lot heavier but they uh, would um what they would do when i went through and they stopped doing this which is is a good thing they would they would be like the boats would be lined up and we'd have them in head carry and the instructors would be in like boat one and run and then they would just jump into boat two and then jump into boat three and i remember hearing when they would did that to me a couple of the times that they did it to me i heard like this deep kind of inside my neck and i remember thinking this is probably not good and they they stopped doing it thankfully cuz that's not healthy so you actually used to be like 62 <laughs> I, I i don't i don't know if i got shorter but i definitely took some took some damage took some damage for sure yeah that was that the boats on heads was probably the most surprising thing to me of how like I just wasn't expecting it to be that bad and uh <clears throat> but like the log PT you know I was always I actually really enjoyed the log PT I think probably because from roofing you know I was always mm-hmm. carrying those 80 pound bundles of shingles up the ladder and then like I was the young guy on the crew so I was the shingle bitch oh, for yeah, fucking three years <laughs> and you know everyone everyone on my crew is in their 40s so they, you know, I was the 15 year old when I came on the crew and just a young, strong kid. They, they took full advantage of it and just wherever they needed shingles on the roof, that's where I hauled them up. And, uh, so I was used to carrying, you know, that, the heavy load and, and stuff. I, and like I said, I felt strong. I, f- I felt really good on that stuff. And mentally I was like, um, I just was super competitive and, that's what really got me through buds was was just that sheer competitiveness where did the maturity level where could that have tripped you up were you like doing dumb stuff on the weekends were you no not really um because i mean i wasn't even old enough to go drink or anything like that so uh it was more just kind of not understanding well one like i was different I was different than most people there because like you said, you wanted to be in the military your whole life and like Mm -hmm. you wanted to be a SEAL, I'm assuming. Did you? Yeah. I mean, as soon as I kind of figured out what the SEAL teams were. Yeah. Yeah. So like, like that and like just how you are, you're very disciplined. You're very, you know, you're very militant, I would say. And I would, I would concur. Yeah. (laughs) And I was like more of like a wild, like free spirit kind of, you know, kid growing up and, uh, and I, I was not militant at all. And so, and, and I also like getting through boot camp was difficult for me because of that as well. You know, just like, I'm like, why, why my, my question was like, why do we have to fold our underwear make like our, this or whatever? We're, we're literally spent all day undoing our bed and, and remaking it. I was like, I, what the fuck is the point of this? Like, it's such a waste of time. And, you know, obviously it's, it's all for a reason and design, but I just, I couldn't wrap my head around it. So that just lack of military bearing and, um, lack of maturity and understanding like why things are the way they are. And, you know, the whole military structure of just, you just do it. And then, you don't question stuff like that, you know, that was probably my biggest hang up, you know, just, I was different than everyone. I was young. I was, I don't know, 
I, I didn't want to be a SEAL my whole life. You know, some of these people, like, this is, like, their dream, and they've been training for it for whatever, and I'm just kind of here showing up, and, and guys are quitting, and, and I'm not. And, you know, and, and, like, physically I was doing, like, a lot better than some guys who, like I said, it was kind of just like, well, I'm just here, whatever, doing this. And other guys, it's like this is everything to me. And, you know, so it's like I – Check. So you get done with buds, and you show up, and where'd you go? Team ten. Team ten. Yeah. Right on. And then, well, how was that checking into Team Ten? Um, it was it was cool. By th- by that point, you know, I'd kind of like uh, obviously I was like, all right, I'm a seal now, and and I had been in the in the pipeline for a while, and kind of getting in the flow of things and the military and and stuff like that, but. Uh, yeah, going, I was super excited to check in to Team 10. Um, and I originally I was going to go to Team 5. And then my I told my family, you know, that I uh, got orders to 5. And, and they were all kind of bummed out because they wanted – they are all on the East Coast. Mm. And um, they were like, oh, man, you know, we were hoping you'd come on the East Coast. And I was like, ah, okay, I'll go to the East Coast. And I thought it was, like, kind of cool too because it, it felt like a – like a new like a new chapter because like you know the seal team one three and five or and seven are right by the mm-hmm. buds compound so it was like you know i'd been there and been in this scene for the last two years or whatever it was and it was it was cool it felt cool to like go across the country and like check into a team and you know i just felt like like this is it this is a real deal so that was super cool i felt felt good um my troop was awesome, and uh, and what was your what was your job in your first platoon? I was a, a heavy gunner for sure. A <laughs> dub, a knuckle dragger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a classic new guy, strong new guy. Guess what? Give yep. him a pig. You're a big strong new guy. Got something for you, and I loved it. Yeah, I mean, I, I I I embraced it. I didn't think it was like a bad thing, you know. And what year is this now? 2009 okay so you yeah you you went straight to the to the mark 48 no m60 for you Mm -mm. that's 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 nice yeah we shot 60s and stuff but no like what like a fam shoot with 60s or something yeah and and there were 60s on like uh humvees and stuff like that and going through uh vehicle stuff so there was still a little bit of transition taking place Mm -hmm. so you're a pig gunner your first platoon how was your first workup it was awesome. Uh, it was definitely a good time. Uh, got what, what surprised you about like going through workup, being in a SEAL platoon? What were what was different than what you thought it was? What was different from how it was for Charlie Sheen? <laughs> um, you know, it was it was a lot like the movie. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> it was it was it was great, man. I I I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, we got to travel, travel the travel the country. That was the cool thing too about the East Coast. Um, the training sites were kind of all over all over versus the West Coast. It was kind of like the same song and dance, like Nyland and and uh, what's the other one? Uh, you know what I'm saying like yeah. in the training the training's mm-hmm. like all the same sites and uh so going to the east coast I got to see a bunch of new places and and that was cool to me just kind of seeing the world um 
and the the brotherhood of like being in the troops and and stuff and you're you're rolling around as a team i thought that that was really cool um was there anything that was more challenging like you know some new guys they have a hard time in their first platoon with whatever with land warfare they have a hard time with cqc they'll have a hard time with some you know whatever sometimes it's like not easy sometimes you know, you get a guy that can't dive very well or whatever. Was there anything that, was there any skill set that was hard for you or did you pretty much, which is, I would say most guys coming out of BUDS and SQT, like most of them are fine. Like most of them mm-hmm. get, get they, they can, they pick things up pretty quick. You know, they made it through all that crap. They made it through SQT where you're getting screened, right, again. So most of the time, but still, you'd still get guys showing up a platoon that, you know, they wouldn't be comfortable with this or they wouldn't be great at that. Was there anything that was tough for you? Uh, I would say like everything was was tough. I I wasn't I wasn't a master at anything other than my pig, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, so everything was 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 somewhat challenging for me. But I also didn't really struggle with anything too too much, other than like my maturity, like that. You know, I was, I had checked into a SEAL team before I could even go into a bar, mm-hmm. you know, and I didn't go to college or anything like that. So I was, I was a 20 year old in a SEAL team, yep. you know? Um, so yes, I, I had been through a lot, uh, as far as like buds and SQT and, you know, that kind of forces you to grow up, um, <clears throat> to an extent, but Seals like to party too, mm-hmm. and uh, and I kind of that was probably my biggest challenge was just my maturity and just kind of learning when to to lock on and and you know when it was time to like chill out. Did you ever get caught? Did you ever get in trouble? Did you ever get arrested? Uh, I did get arrested, and not in my new guy platoon. Oh, okay. I got arrested in my uh, in when I was in my second platoon uh i got into a bar fight um this these guys it was actually three three dudes uh had just started mouthing off to one of my platoon members wife it was him and i and uh my girlfriend at the time and and his girlfriend at the time now or wife and uh we were coming out of the bar and they just had had a couple drinks and they had come over and said some disrespectful shit to them and you know, I I just was feeling froggy a little bit and and uh, didn't let it slide and ended up whooping their ass and beat up three people outside of a bar and got arrested. Mm-hmm. But but your first platoon, you you managed to keep your nose clean, yeah. or at least as far as mm-hmm. the the actual law go, the actual yeah. law enforcement goes. Yeah, no trouble. And then where was that? So you did your workup. Where did you guys go on deployment to? Your first deployment, Afghanistan. And when you were going to Afghanistan, were you going, did you go as a whole troop to Afghanistan? Uh, yep, yeah, all, all three of our uh, platoons went. Yeah, it was, it was kind of an interesting um, thing because uh, it, it was in 2011, and uh, I don't know if you, you said you got out in 2010. I did, yeah. Well, yeah, there was, I'm sure you heard about, it. They, uh, they wanted us to, somehow get on the army schedule and uh so it was us and team seven Mm -hmm. 
and um, we ended up basically doing two deployments back-to-back and got synced up with the army or something like that mm-hmm. i don't know i don't know all the all the you know mumbo jumbo that actually took place but or why why we did it but uh they told us kind of right before it was like two months before we left they were like hey um just kidding you guys are gonna go to afghanistan and we're gonna need you to stay there for basically a year mm-hmm. and we're like oh shit okay so uh we went there and uh it was it was an interesting deployment for sure because it, my platoon um we were the furthest outpost from any major base in Afghanistan and uh you know we're basically roughing it the whole time we were out there did you guys take over an outpost somewhere or did you guys establish one uh we took one over that had just been established like literally a couple months ago mm-hmm. you know so there was there was nothing there we were sleeping in tents still um no running water no no nothing like that and then um i think around month 7 or 8 of our deployment we packed up and went 15 miles north and set up a new uh site so it was literally just fucking roughing it the whole time uh you know air dropping our food in and and no running water the whole time and what what type of ops were you doing um we were we were doing all kinds of stuff uh and i was lucky enough to kind of we got to they shifted our guys around too so like we got to all it kind of experience different things because we all had a different kind of mission set and different we were all in all three of our platoons were in different areas of afghanistan so um i got to kind of do a lot of everything so were you guys going out on patrol from your from your forward operating base was that yeah and yeah pretty much daily and you were uh interacting with the local populace type thing yep yeah trying to establish relationships yeah we did that for a little while that was uh really dumb <laughs> <laughs> That you be dumb was, because you didn't feel like you made any progress, didn't make any connections. Yeah, I mean, in, in my opinion, I I just thought it was like kind of a a waste of time, and um, I just I just felt like we could have been doing a lot more uh, stuff or or better stuff with our time and and training and all that, and it was just like a super dangerous uh, area to be in. You know, it was in uh, Hellman and. Is just, we basically just lived in a fucking minefield, you know, and it was just IEDs everywhere, just as a constant threat. So, you know, and we were going on these long patrols every day, and and uh, and all these all these ops we were doing and hitting these villages that were just riddled with IEDs everywhere, and you know, getting contacted. You know, on you're basically just stick out like a sore thumb there, you know. So, uh, I mean, you know how it is overseas. I, I didn't feel real comfortable with that. Like, and it sucked uh, being in a minefield. Like, just every step, just please don't blow up, please don't blow up, please don't blow up, please don't blow up. You know, for a year. Just, yeah. Did you guys? Did you guys hit any IEDs? Uh, yeah. Yeah, we we encountered a 
couple IDs and um so that was shitty. Yeah. And the the enemy, did you have a feel for who was bad and who was good when you'd go out? No. Definitely not. Um, there was, I mean, because like literally, there was there was uh, times where you know we'd be in the village, fucking shaking hands with people, and then you know on the way out, get contacted, get in a firefight, and then fucking go back and look, and oh, it's the same guys that we were just shaking hands with that are fucking dead, you know. And so it was it was hard to. it was really weird to like get ramped up and everything as these like you get in this mindset of this warrior mindset you know that you're going to war and you're going to this fucking land where everyone everyone is you know your enemy and blah 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 and then it's like oh just kidding let's let's try to help some of these people or whatever and and the you know the good in you is like okay yeah i want to i want to help people and and stuff like that and, and do what I can um, to help these people out. And, and if they're getting, like, bullied essentially by the by the Taliban or whatever, like, that's not cool. But I just felt like it, it was it was really weird to, to be there and go there with that mindset and then have to fucking, like, try to help people. And then when you try to help people, they don't want your help. And you know, and they fucking shoot at you and, and shit like that. So it's like, and then you're expected to like go out and try and help these people again. And it's, I I don't know. It was just like a weird, it's a weird dynamic. And would you go, when you said you would move positions, were you going from like, would you like switch platoons and go to a different Mm -hmm. operating base? Yeah. And then you'd spend some time there with them Mm -hmm. and, and then do operations with them and then, after a little while go to a different one as yeah. well yeah yeah we we rotated our guy all of our guys just to so we could all get you know experience doing other things like working with the commandos or you know uh training the fit training fit mm-hmm. um or doing the vso stuff and yeah it was cool i i i enjoyed that just because it broke up the monotony of every day, you know, going on patrols, doing the same things, seeing the same places or whatever, and dealing with the same threats. Uh, it just, it keeps you kind of from getting complacent, I felt like. So yeah, espe- I, I especially was, for the 11-monther. Yeah, so I, I was definitely happy to move and, and do new things and work. and like And it was cool, too, because on the base that we were at, in Afghanistan, it was literally like a hundred yards by a hundred yards. That was your, that was like our camp. It was like being in prison, you know, but worse, <laughs> like, cause we're getting shot at too. And like, if you, when you go outside to go get your fucking food that they airdrop in, you know, you're, you're worried about stepping on IEDs. Like we found IEDs literally right outside of our compound. You know, so it was a constant threat always. And uh, and like I said, like going to get our airdrop, it was just a lot of work too because not only it was like we were seal bees, you know, we had to like build our, we had to like build our camp 
and also like all the stuff that came with that like going and getting our our uh, supplies that would airdrop in and and being out there you know you only get ring routes and and stuff you only get airdrops every once in a while and uh so when when shit would come in it was like all hands go work on this and then also you got to prep your shit and get ready for the the op tonight or tomorrow or whatever and um <laughs> and i remember just i remember i have a video of one of our big airdrops coming in and uh you just see like three or four pallets just burn in <laughs> and just explode and you know it's like always it like all the water bottle pallets are fine but it's that one with like the goodies you know it's like oh man you know that's the one that burned in and it just fucking hits the ground explodes and you see like all the rippets or something you know something that people are looking forward to just explode and you're just like fuck <laughs> I, I don't know I just accepted that this was my life so Jerk. whatever I wasn't I wasn't thinking about the time too much and then um I just you get into a rhythm, you know, and we got to we got to go home for R and R. That was cool. Took a little break, but it was like bittersweet, you know. Mm. Go home for fucking two weeks and <laughs> like oh, I've just been playing in this minefield where everyone's trying to kill me for the last six months, and come home for two weeks and like to normalcy, and you're just like you know literally just fly straight from there no decompression or anything and then now you're back in normal society with your family and and by the way you're leaving in 11 days to go back yeah and then don't get comfortable because we're going right back over there so that was like kind of like it was bittersweet and uh got back over there but that was cool too because it was like all right i'm fucking halfway through like it's downhill now you know so that it kind of definitely fired me up to to finish out but then uh towards the end and we were there for all four seasons so we saw literally mm. all four seasons it was, it was interesting and um by the end of it by the end of it uh i remember when the ring route came to pick me up to go out uh i remember flying away from from the base that we were at and just thinking like I, I felt kind of sad like mm. like almost like when you move away from somewhere and like I've moved my whole life I've moved around mm. a lot so I was like damn like this has been my home for the last year you know I'm, I'm kind of bummed to 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 leave but fuck this place <laughs> I can't wait to go home yeah I got I got kind of lucky because I had been in the Navy for a while when when I deployed to Iraq and especially my second deployment to Iraq where I was in Ramadi and and like I, I, you know, sometimes people will say, oh, I look back and I, I wish I would have appreciated it more. You know, people say that about certain parts of their life. I don't have that at all. Like I 100% appreciated every single day I was there. I was like, this is, this is the, the best part of my whole life is right, is what's happening today right now. You know, so I, I got kind of lucky in the fact that, you know, even talking to the guys that were new guys on on uh, that deployment to Ramadi, they they just kind of, they were like, from then on, they'd be saying, damn, you know, I thought that's what every deployment was going to be like. And it was, and it was, they just didn't have that same perspective of, hey, man, this is like this target rich environment where we're getting to do what everyone's dreamed of doing their whole life and you're gonna do it all the time 
that doesn't happen, you know, it doesn't happen like that usually, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's hard. And so I was pretty lucky in the fact that I, I, I was, I could appreciate it. Yeah. Know? I know. As far as the work went, like I was, as far as like, like being a seal and working there, like that, that was awesome, you know? And I was, uh, you know, one of the biggest, like I say concerns I had or, or not even a concern was just like a question to myself was, you know, what, what, how am I actually going to react in combat? You know what I mean? Cause everyone, everyone likes to think that they're ideally, you know, in a, in a situation of shit popped off, you know, I'll be the, I'll be the guy who will, you know, hold my, have my shit together and, and be that, you know, the rock or whatever, you know what I mean? And, uh, some people crumble, you know, and <clears throat> I saw that as a seal, like, that that was kind of my I was always a realist, you know. It was like I've never been shot at. I've never been in a gunfight or whatever. So um I definitely, you know, I I I feel like I'm not a coward and I feel like I would step up and do do what I got to do and perform. I feel like that, but I don't know it for sure, you know what I mean? And um so that was that was definitely when it happened and I, and I, you know, and I did, I, I stepped up and, and felt very pleased with, with how that all went down and, and all the combat and everything that I had been involved with. Like that was definitely, um, rewarding to me, you know, like as a seal and, Mm -hmm. and as a man, just, and as a warrior, just like, okay, like I felt legit, you know, I felt like fulfilled in that sense. Um, so the work, the work was really good, but just as far as being in that environment, like, uh, the IEDs was really like the IEDs and the fucking like invisible enemy was mm. kind of, um, discouraging, you know, it was like, it felt like we just had so much risk, you know, for not a whole lot of reward. And, uh, like, which is different. Like I would say, or I feel like in like Ramadi Mm. was like a different, just way different environment. Um, but yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's the, that's the way insurgents are supposed to fight, right? You're not supposed to see them. They're just supposed to pick away at you. The death of a thousand cuts Mm -hmm. with it, you know, indirect fire IEDs and snipers, and they don't want you to ever see them. And, and that's what they want. And just to slowly pick away because they don't care about human life. They don't value human life. And here we are, you know, every time we lose someone, it's a, it's a tragedy and they don't care if they lose guys or not. They don't, they don't care. They don't care if the civilians get killed. They don't care about any of that. And so that's why they have, that's why they have an advantage in those situations. A psychological advantage is, Hey, we, we don't care if you kill us. And by the way, we know you care about your people. And so we're going to pick away and you're hopefully you're never going to see us and we don't care. We're going to blow you up and we don't care. Yeah. That was, I mean, it, that was pretty apparent. I mean, uh, cause a lot of the IEDs that went off were, you know, local villagers stepping on yeah, them. Triggered by civilians, you know, and, uh, and that, that just happened all the, all of the damn time. And, uh, and we would we would help them, you know. We would we would aid the wounded and stuff like that. And they'd like get pissed at us, and we're like, we didn't plant that shit, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, get mad at them, not us. 
Yeah, that's that that insurgency thing is. But yeah, and like you hard know, to deal with. It, it was it was just super frustrating to me. Like uh, it was super frustrating to me dealing with like the politics involved with war, mm-hmm. and um, you know, I felt like we absolutely could have done things to give us more of an advantage, but it seemed like they were more concerned with politics and shit like that, you know, as more than, more than like the safety of us. And I just felt like we could, you know, there's no reason why we should be going out in the daylight period. You know, we, we train like, why not, fight like we train and oh because you guys got locked down from doing stuff at night right uh, is that we, right we got to do night shit but we also did a lot of day shit and i you know to me it was just like why the fuck are we doing this like we have night vision why are we going out during did the you day? have afghan forces with you sometimes mm-hmm. a lot of times we did well yeah we we had to work a lot in ramadi in the daytime um, and the, ma- the main reason why we worked, well, there's a couple big reasons why we worked in the daytime in Ramadi, which, as you, as you just pointed out, is a huge tactical disadvantage compared to being out at night where we can literally see and the enemy can't. I mean, it's, but in Ramadi, you know, we had to work with Iraqi soldiers who didn't have night vision. So they didn't even have flashlights. They would have like one flashlight for every four people and we eventually got them flashlights and stuff. But anyways, it was, it was a problem because to go out at night with them, it was they were blind, and so now you're you're like at a you're at the same the same disadvantage because you're trying to you got people that can't see mixed with people that can see, and they're not getting anything out of it. They're not improving their skills at all. Well, and they're just horrible. <laughs> yeah, and they were they were not not good not good, and so that was one reason was. To to take them out in the daytime, we to, to get them to operate, we had to go out with them in the daytime. And the other big one was the enemy knew that we owned the night. And so the enemy in Ramadi, they didn't come out at night. Mm-hmm. They came out in the daytime. So if you wanted to kill them, you had to go out when they were when they were moving. And so that's when we went out. And you know, we we did both. I mean we did a ton ton at the night as well. And also, you know, we take advantage of the night to get in good positions, you know, when and then during the daytime they would come out to fight and, you know, they'd get it. Yeah, we we had uh, our we had we were working with the commandos and they had night vision, um, but like I said, they were just terrible. Mm-hmm. And uh, like one of, one of them almost shot me um, on an op. Uh, we were actually in a helicopter flying mm-hmm. to target, and uh, it was one of their heavy gunners. And um, <clears throat> he, uh, it was around midnight, and we were flying in a Chinook to, to the target. And, uh, I was just kind of nodding off, just, you know, just, just trying to, you know, catch a little nap Mm -hmm. on the ride to the op and it's pitch black in the, in the helo obviously. And, uh, all of a sudden it's just, you know, like four or five rounds crack off and the guy next, it was the guy next to me. And thank God he had his barrel down Mm -hmm. and, uh, like literally just shot like four or five rounds like less than six inches from my feet and there's just holes in the bottom of the the bird and he shot the comms out of the helo and everything and at that point i was just like fuck you know i was i was just kind of used to shit 
being shitty and just <laughs> reached over and took the rounds out of his gun and just that Clear was it safest weapon yeah and just like come over comms like yeah the fucking commandos ad you know and everyone's just like whatever but uh so, so then we changed like all right no more commandos rolling hot in the birds mm-hmm. you know on the way to target uh target and uh so we 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 had changed that <laughs> so then the next one we did we fucking got to we uh got to our our uh target bird landed get out and do our formation and all of a sudden and it's like a total brownout you know because mm-hmm. afghanistan's super dusty and everything there and uh the the helo lands we're all getting out we're in our formation and it's total brownout and then all of a sudden we hear fucking rounds going off because the the dudes loading their mm-hmm. pigs like all of a sudden had a runaway gun or whatever right. we're, we're we don't know if we're getting contacted like you can hear it's outgoing but like why yeah. why is there outgoing fire when we're infilling you know are we getting contact or what's going on and it's just these guys are fucking stupid with their weapons and yeah so it was always always something fun always good so you wrap up that deployment and come back to come back and roll into your next yep. next platoon. Yep. Come back and uh roll into the next platoon and um I always wanted to How was that how was that coming home now you're now you're home. You did the two weeks in the middle. How was the transition when you got home? It was uh it was it was rough. Um I was definitely dealing with some PTSD, I would say, and uh, I, I was I was definitely kind of angry. Um, I was I was angry. It, it was a weird 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 emotions because um, I, I I kind of was kind of pissed off at like uh, America, like like not America as a whole, but like I felt like uh, the the politics. You know, like I said earlier, mm-hmm. I felt like they really um, cared more about or they just didn't really give a shit about our safety. I felt like, uh, you know, it's one thing like obviously we're doing a dangerous job, but why why on earth are we not giving ourselves every advantage that we are capable of, you know, like like the night vision and stuff like that. And and a lot of times we would capture people um who we knew were bad you know talking to our intel guys and they're like 100 percent like this dude is a fucking terrorist like he's a bad dude like everyone in his phone you know they rip apart their shit and like every every one of his contacts are bad you know like this guy's definitely an ied maker you know whatever and so we've got these guys captured, but then we have to turn them into the Afghan government, which we also know is corrupt. And then all of a sudden these dudes are out on the streets again in a couple months time and making IEDs that, you know, me or my brothers could step on and fucking that's a wrap. And, you know, uh, Caleb Nelson was a SEAL that died on our deployment from our team. And it's just kind of, you know, 
life and death and war, it just puts things into perspective. And uh, it really made me angry that, you know, like Caleb couldn't come home because of an IED and like we're letting these people go. And I, and I just felt like we weren't being utilized fully and uh, and like like it was costing us. And so I was like really angry about that. And, um, <clears throat> and then also just kind of being in that environment for a long time, just it's different, you know, different mentality. And then coming home to America and like people just don't understand how good it is here. And it's like a fucking fairy tale, you know, and, and trying and listening to people talk and complain about, about shit here and I'm just like you don't even have to you don't even you just walked down that sidewalk and didn't even give a fuck where you stepped like you didn't even care because you're not worried about anything you're not worried if there's an IED there like you have running water you took a shower today you fucking I had to burn my own shit you know and so I, I was just like a lot of anger dealing with that and I was drinking a lot like uh and I also felt like I felt like seals were the only ones that kind of understood and got it and then also being over there in Afghanistan I saw you know Kandahar the main base in Kandahar was like a fucking it was like a little town Mm -hmm. you know and there's like flag football leagues and shopping and TGI Fridays, people having birthday parties and shit like that. And, you know, that's where, that's where like Tim McGraw flies in to do the concert for the troops and shit like that, you know? And it's like, Oh, is this where we're staying? Eating like Kings, you know? And they're like, no, 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 (laughs) you're going out there. Mm -hmm. So then, you know, that's where I, that's where I was. And that's where, where me and my boys were, you know, living in the suck living doing some serious fucking shitty living you know and 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 working a job that was dangerous as fuck every day and then just seeing that kind of shit like i don't know i just i felt like before i had gone over overseas i was like real like thank you for your service to everyone i saw you know and and afterwards i was just kind of the opposite <laughs> And uh, was like, fuck all these motherfuckers, man. So I was just disgruntled and whatever. And, uh, and peop- you know, I'd hear people talk about PTSD or this or that. And I'm like, what the fuck are you, what are you afraid of? You know, you were on a, a main base that, like, wasn't, it's not even a thing. Like, you didn't experience war. But that was like just kind of immaturity mm-hmm. at the time, and and like like I said, me being just kind of disgruntled and um, dealing with that, and I was drinking like heavily, uh, and I was just a super aggressive person, and it wasn't like a good, it wasn't good for my friends and family, like people I cared about or whatever. And like I said, I, I felt like seals were kind of the only ones that understood. And then even amongst seals, I felt like only the ones who, who had to live so shitty like we did, 
like our platoon, you know, no running water for a year and like, like just living in that environment was super rough. And I felt like they were the only ones who understood. But then again, it's like, I just spent a year with these assholes in a hundred by a hundred foot, you know, place. I don't want to see them. (laughs) And, uh, so I just kind of felt alone a little bit, you know, and, uh, whatever dealt with that. Got, got through that and doing better now. And, and I was like kind of disgruntled towards people claiming PTSD and all this kind of shit, uh, for years after that. And then actually some random, um, uh, this random chick at a dinner I was at, she was, uh, in the army or something like that. And, and she had, she was talking about PTSD and I was just thinking like, Jesus Christ, what the fuck are you, what, what is it? You know? And I kind of, said my viewpoints on it and she was like well you know fear is relative and you know like you were you were seriously trained and stuff for for war and and to be in that environment and you know some people weren't and like fear is relative like this like being in a gunfight to you you know and versus like just being in that country like could be the same amount of fear or more for that person. Mm. And I was just kind of like, you know, hmm, I never really thought about it that way. Okay, I'll change my mind. <laughs> you know? Yeah, well, war is different for everybody. And it's. Yeah. I remember my first deployment to Iraq, we, we, we traveled a lot and we went to a lot of different places. And so we'd go from like the incredible palaces that had been taken over that had subways and Starbucks and then we you know the next day we'd be out at some outstation somewhere there'd be an ODA team just living in you know the most horrible living conditions Mm -hmm. and then the next day you'd be with uh, some random Marine Corps company out in some other forward operating base and and again they're just living like in hell and then you come back to another another like main fob and it's all luxurious and nice and I mean it just it kind of is what it is for sure you know it just kind of is what it is and that actually makes sense what that female said about you know hey it's different people are there They're, they're there for different reasons you know like we joined the SEAL teams mm-hmm. because what we want to do is go out and go on patrol with a machine gun. That's like 100% right. of why you joined the SEAL teams. Mm-hmm. Someone that goes. You're, you're hoping for yes, a gunfight. You're, pray, like, you're praying for a war. Yeah. And so. I, rem- I remember like being out there, man. I, I remember my very first op um, <clears throat> when I, we we flew into this, to to this village and. I remember being like super nervous and like, holy shit, I'm, I'm a fucking Navy SEAL and I'm actually going on my first mission. Like, holy shit. And I'm just thinking like, uh, when we land, we, we landed at like 3 AM or something and that, and we, we offset like way far away. <laughs> but I was thinking like, it's going to be guns blazing as soon as this helo lands. <laughs> so I jump out of the helo and I'm just like full blown ready for war. Like what are bring it on? Let's go. Where's bin Laden? <laughs> 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 and it was just pitch black, quiet. And I sat there for fucking hours and, you know, till the sun came up, nothing happened. I was like, God damn it. I was so disappointed. You know, yeah. like, I was looking forward yeah, to yeah. like war and then, you know, Obviously, we got we got plenty, but yeah. Uh, I yeah I remember just being real antsy to 
to get in a firefight and you know to to do what I've been trained to do and put my training to the test you know and yeah it's different for other people who are not experiences may vary (laughs) (laughs) there's no doubt about that so did when you went to uh, bat when you got home and you got put into a new platoon did you guys keep a core group of guys from your from your previous platoon together or was it like brand new uh, yeah, no, we, we had guys that, that stayed and, and some went, you know, to trade it and some screened and standard turnover yeah, sta- deal, standard shit, few, few core guys stayed together, four mm-hmm. or five or whatever. Yeah. And then you guys got a new chief and a new OIC, yeah. a new assistant platoon commander. Yeah. Yeah. That was, man, God, thank God. I, I am so, I so do not miss having fucking 20 bosses, you know, in the military <laughs> and then, Every, you know, at the drop of a hat, it can change. And then all of a sudden it's like, nope, new flavor. We're, we're, uh, now we're, you know, it's like, oh, Jocko's now our fucking commander. So we're all waking up at 430 and <laughs> going to PT. It's like, what the fuck? When did this happen? This is bullshit. <laughs> uh, check. And as so you get, you do another workup. Yep. And, yep. and uh, I, I, uh, I'd always wanted to be a, a dog handler. And, oh, sweet. Yeah, and uh, I, I tried to volunteer to be a dog handler as a new guy, and, and they said no because, you know, they want You're you to. You're a new guy. Yeah, they want you to. <laughs> to here's your dog. <laughs> His name's 48. <laughs> and uh, make it bark. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I got to, um, to do the dog handling thing and um, – was super super excited about that and uh it was it was honestly such a great time um i had a badass dog and i was his first handler and uh yeah it was it was super cool because you know well one i was i was a one platoon wonder so i'd already kind of gotten that afghanistan gotten some combat under my belt and um you know i was the classic worst the the worst guy in the teams is a one platoon wonder, and uh, so I was full blown. Just one cruise wonder. You knew everything. A hundred percent. And uh, and I got a fucking dog. So <laughs> watch out, uh, Stellan. No, uh, my dog was super cool, and um, the like uh, there the there were six of us that went over to work with the dogs, and we all got along really well, and. Uh, and that was super cool because now you're not a new guy finally you know and i mean even on our deployment in afghanistan we were still fucking doing new guy shit oh yeah you're you're a new guy <laughs> you're a fucking new guy i couldn't fucking believe it i'm like we literally they made us shovel rocks one time they like a whole like a dumpster or a dump truck full of rocks Mm -hmm. and they just we just moved it from one pile and just tent over like 10 15 feet to the right and we just moved the pile of rocks to this make a new pile Mm -hmm. 15 feet to the right and it was it was a disciplinary thing it wasn't Mm -hmm. you know all the new guys your your attitude's not good and we're just like, are you fucking serious? Like, we were just in a firefight with you. Like, you know, we're not like we're expecting to like be boys now. And they're like, shut up, new guys. Yeah, your attitude sucks. Go shovel rocks. That's and the we're just like, god damn it. And um, you know, and we were like literally having to burn shit. You know, burn our own shit. Uh, we had we had uh, barrels that we had wrapped debt debt cordon around and cut in half mm-hmm. and um filled with diesel fuel yeah. and those were our 
those were our shitters, but they needed burned. Mm-hmm. So when uh, when the when the new guys, <laughs> you know, when when we didn't uh, have the best attitudes or our attitudes weren't up to par, we we shoveled rocks and burned shit. So I was definitely happy to not be a new guy anymore. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah. So I was a one platoon wonder, had a dog, and uh, got to go through another workup with the dog. So that was super cool and, and got to go through dog training school and, and learn about the dogs. And, and um, yeah, unfortunately, like right, right before it was, uh, we were on like pre-deployment leave and they had told us like, hey, change of plans. We're going, now we're going to UCOM. Mm-hmm. So uh, we don't need the dog anymore. Ugh. And I was like, fuck, man, this isn't like a piece of equipment. I mean, that's essentially how the Navy looks at them. Mm-hmm. They are they are equipment, but, you know, obviously it's a dog and you, be, you, you form this like super strong bond and attachment with them just like they're your pet. Mm-hmm. And uh, my dog was super awesome. And I'd worked with him so much that, you know, it was like a robot. It was like a – it was so cool. And um, I was fucking so pissed off when they just dropped that on us and it's just like yeah hey hand the leash over to someone else <laughs> and yeah so did that and uh then went to ucom and and you know a lot of guys were fucking super pissed off that we were going to ucom and you know i i was definitely looking forward to using my dog and and you know doing that in afghanistan but you know that is what it is you you, you know I, I definitely knew that there wasn't i i didn't see any value in just bitching about it mm-hmm. and uh it seemed like that was like the common thing was just it was it seemed almost like if you weren't bitching about it then you were looked at as a turd mm-hmm. and like if you you know if you weren't <laughs> bitching louder than the guy next to you then you're you're you know oh man I'm so disappointed we're not going to Afghanistan yeah me too I'm super disappointed like yeah well I can't even sleep at night well well, I don't even want to fucking go you know like you know it's just yeah I just realized just to shed some light on to everyone so when you deploy in a SEAL platoon or a, a SEAL troop you can deploy to different parts of the world sometimes you deploy to places like Iraq and Afghanistan which as we just kind of discussed that's where everybody wants to go well 95%. Well, you never know what the real number is because there's some people <laughs> don't want to go. But there's there's the attitude most guys want to go and they want to go fight. But there's also, you have to deploy to other parts of the world where there's no war going on. You might just deploy to the Pacific or you might deploy, in this case, UCOM is for European command. So that's going over to Germany and doing, doing things out of Germany in different parts of Europe. And it's definitely... Not a high threat environment, <laughs> no. and so yeah, and and that's the way it goes. Sometimes there's a mission that has to be done, and it's a different kind of mission. You're going to build relationships with other countries, and you do these exercises and do training events, but it's not generally what guys are excited to do in the SEAL teams. So there's always there's always a you know I always get asked that question when I when I go and talk to SEALs is hey my guys are going here how do I keep them on you know how do I keep them? How do I keep them engaged when? Yeah, no one wants to do it or they don't care about it. It's like yeah, you got to work through that. It's definitely it's definitely a challenge because you know I would imagine especially if you know like that you're going to UCOM and then starting that workup because you still have to go through the workup and train 
as if, you know, Mm -hmm. your fucking life depends on it and that you're going to war and, you know, that you're the elite, you know, warrior and and you have to be ready for anything. So, like, obviously our training is um, developed around that. But then having to keep up that motivation, like, it's it's one thing when you're like – fuck dude this training sucks and it's i'm tired it's hot i'm you know i'm like fucking covered in shit or whatever and i've got to hike 12 miles carrying this thing and it's like well you we got to do it though because we're going to fucking war like this is serious mm-hmm. you know but then it's like oh we're going to uconn man why the fuck are we even training today <laughs> you know what i mean but uh i don't know so I didn't really have that that attitude though. I was kind of excited to, you know, I had just gotten we had just done that that year deployment to Afghanistan, and it was you know, and my platoon was the one that was really really shitty shitty living. The other two platoons were in nice bases that they were like had awesome gyms, like good food and and stuff like that, and uh, you know, so I, I wasn't I wasn't too terribly upset about it obviously like everyone wants to go work and and kill bad guys like a champion but uh you know when you when you got to do it that and it is what it is you might as well fucking enjoy it that's how i feel you might as well make the most of it at what point did you start jujitsu i started i started jujitsu actually um in buds uh that was my introduction um to buds one of our buds instructors was he he was interested in jujitsu and liked it or whatever and uh so as a punishment one day we had to do wet and sandy jujitsu like mm-hmm. introduction to jujitsu and <clears throat> like a lot of guys were were not enjoying it because one if you've never done jujitsu you're 100 percent gonna get fucked up by anyone who has done it mm-hmm. and we were wet and sandy so it was like just cold and wet and miserable and and sandpaper like grinding on each other you know but i actually really enjoyed it i was like holy shit this is pretty cool and uh one of the guys there was two guys in our class that were both uh really high level wrestlers like in high school Mm -hmm. and um and they were probably like on a blue belt level you know they were probably like 135 145 pounds and at the time i was around 185 190 pounds i'd done never done jujitsu ever or wrestled or anything like that and uh i always punched you know i knew i punched hard been in a lot of fights like street fights and shit bar fights but um or at that point sorry it wasn't bar fights it was like high school fights um dodgeball fights right i did get in a dodgeball fight once no bullshit and uh so anyway these these little guys just tied me in a fucking knot and i was just so impressed like because looking at these dudes i would be like 100 percent, i'll fuck this guy up in a fight and we you know they were like all right no striking no 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 punching but we're gonna grapple and i'm like okay and we're grappling, and they're just completely fucking me up. And I was, like, thinking, oh, my God. If these little itty-bitty men can tie me in a knot like this and just make me helpless, like, imagine what I could do if I learned this. So I started uh, rolling with one of my friends who uh, was, like, 6'2", 240 pounds at the time and just 
super aggressive and uh, <clears throat> he was probably around a blue belt level of knowledge um, maybe not quite a blue belt mm-hmm. you know but he knew definitely more than I did and we you know he was really aggressive too and 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 he was like all about rolling um, so we would roll nogi and he would just constantly this was where uh, in this is in buds or yeah in buds no and kidding. then buds and then sqt um you know buds was the introduction mm-hmm. to it and i was like whoa i i fucking love this. this is cool and then i started talking to one of my classmates who was also into it and you know he had done he had done some training before the navy and like i said he was around a blue belt level so yeah. when you got to team 10 did you start training immediately at one of the academies? No, I didn't start training um, at one of the academies until after Afghanistan. I came Got back it. and because um, one of the guys, one of my like my sea daddy, he was uh, he was a purple belt at the time, and um, we would roll on occasion, you know, and yeah. and and he would be like, and he would tell me like, man, you have like great you know, aggression and, and ability and all this shit, but you, you got to go to an academy and, and, and learn, you know, and I had only learned just from that guy, that that dude beating my ass over and over. And he would literally like, just, just fucking get on top pressure, grind arm triangle, you know? And he'd be like, all right, man, you know, I got on top, you know, I fucking, I'm trying to, I squeezed like that. Don't let me do that again. (laughs) I'm like, all right, got it. (laughs) You know, try harder, try harder. You know, you, you know, you got to do something. You're not doing anything. (laughs) You know what I mean? So it was one of those. So, uh, I had gotten pretty good at just getting my ass kicked and dealing with a big, large human or whatever. So then when I actually showed up to an academy, um, I had been doing that for a couple of years, you know, with him and never put on a gi or anything like mm-hmm. that. But then afterwards, yeah, he was like, you got to join gym. So I joined a gym, put on the gi, and, and then really, like, that's when my jujitsu, I I would say, really started my journey. And that was in 2012. And did you have someone to train with on your UCOM deployment? Um, yeah, uh, I trained with my sea daddy. He was there, and uh, I trained – and UCOM, like we were obviously going to different countries, mm-hmm. so I would go and, and hit up different gyms in the different countries, and then all the other uh, the other countries, SEAL teams, you know, that we worked with. Mm-hmm. There's always someone who's into combatives, you know, so yeah. I would basically just find out who that guy was. Who wants to get some. Yeah, who wants to get some, and then we'd roll the mats out and fucking train. And, and I was trying to get guys into jiu-jitsu back then, and, and I was telling them, you know, it's a great workout. And people would just look at me like, that's not a fucking workout. And, you know, you're not lifting weights. You're not running. You're not. I'm like, dude, it is a workout for sure. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, one that, that I thought the reason I liked jujitsu specifically was because it was like a deadly martial art. You know, I could fucking choke you and like you're, you're tapping, you're, you're asking me like, please don't kill me, mm-hmm. you know. And that's what I thought was fucking cool about it. And uh, that is definitely one of the cool things about it. <laughs> you know, like there's there's times where I don't know. You, yeah, like we're we're gunfighters. I get it. But your first line is should be you like my my body. What can I do with my fucking vessel that I was brought into this universe with like versus you? If I don't have a weapon, if I don't, you know, it's just me and you. Yeah. 
one-on-one like let's yeah and i mean i got to see like over and over again just guys that didn't know how to didn't know anything and they'd get in a simple prisoner handling situation and wouldn't be able to handle someone and the only thing that they would know to do is like bludgeon them in the head which is cool that's fine i get it but when you bring that person into the detainment facility and they're freaking all jacked up and then it turns out that they're not the person you were looking for or whatever <laughs> and and that just doesn't that's just not that's just not cool and it's not it's not tactically the best thing to do because you don't have the control i mean you can't count on punching someone or hitting them in the head you can't count on that solving the problem right. whereas jujitsu it's like yeah no i have this human under control whereas you can you know uh, you've punched people before that you've nailed them and they shook it off like it didn't even happen mm-hmm. uh you know the whole thing with like muzzle strikes i've seen i've had guys i mean i've muzzle struck p- plenty of people but like i've had guys that i've seen put the craziest most aggressive muzzle strike on a dude and have the dude sh- Bleeding, yeah, but like r- still fighting. Yeah, Adre- think, adrenaline's a fucking hell yeah. of a thing. And so, so yeah, from the especially when people are in fear for their life. Oh yeah, definitely. And they hate you, and they hate your society, and they're f- a jihadist. It's like yeah, they're that muzzle strike. If it doesn't knock them out, which sure it is possible, but the idea that that was just going to stop someone in their tracks one hundred percent of the time was completely ludicrous. Now with Jiu-jitsu, at least you're going to have some control, more control. And even that's not 100%, you know, because you could, you know, you've got someone that's really small against someone that's really big. And depending on your skill level, there could be issues there. But um, yeah, so you finally started training at a school. Yeah. 2012. And then you just dove in all the way. Yeah. I started, uh, I started training at a school in 2012 and um, started competing in jiu-jitsu uh, you know, I really once I once I joined a school, I learned more in six months than I did in four years of, of course nogi rolling with my buddies. You know what I mean? That it was just the blind leading the blind, essentially. Yeah. Like who knows the most today? And it's like you guys are all fucking wrong. We're all teaching each other wrong shit. You know what I mean? So I learned more in six months than I did that whole time. And so I and at that point, I'd really like fallen in love with jujitsu and. Uh, I started competing all the time and was doing really well because I was a I was competing as a white belt, mm-hmm. you know, but I had already had a shitload of mm-hmm. grappling experience, you know, with fucking big strong dudes who were just fucking me up. Mm-hmm. But now like now I'm the big strong guy and I know a little bit and I I've, I've been in like hard situations on the mat, you know what I mean? And then obviously just the the team guy just will to fight Mm -hmm. you know that's always a a different level Uh, you can tell when you roll with a a team guy even even when a team guy is brand new at jujitsu there's they're still going to be there you can just tell that they're different because their will to fight Mm -hmm. is is generally higher yeah um so anyway i started competing uh, a lot and doing really well and then started fighting and doing really well in that as well and then you know that led me to what I'm doing now. And then you actually took over, when you came home from your UCOM deployment, you took over the combatives program? Yeah. <clears throat> yep. I uh, I took over the combatives program. That was something that, you know, I felt like uh, kind of lacked in 
in the SEAL teams. You know, I was very shocked at that. I was surprised at that. You know, uh, obviously we're, we're the SEALs are the best in the world, you know, at what we do. And, you know, we're gunfighters and, and all that shit. But I would, I imagined that our hand to hand combat, you know, like everyone thinks like, Oh, fucking seal. He must, you know, tap me on the shoulder and I'll, and I'll die, you know? And it's true just for everyone who's listening. It's definitely true. But, uh, I hadn't gone to that school yet. So (laughs) I was like confused as to why that wasn't a school or whatever. So anyway, I, I felt like with, at this point I was, I was, uh, competing quite a bit and having, having some pretty good success in the, uh, fight MMA jiu-jitsu world and I'd also had you know real world experience you know a lot of real world experience dealing with prisoner handling and stuff like that and um and I just felt like I felt like I could bring um I felt like I could do a good job at, at leading the combatives so um I took that on board and, and they gave me a shot and, um, I rewrote the curriculum for combatives that we used on the, on the East coast. And, um, it was, it was really good, you know, and I, and I went into it with the operationally focused mindset, you know, not if, if you're doing it, I'm all about jujitsu. I love jujitsu. Mm-hmm. However, if you're doing a triangle choke on target, something's probably gone terribly wrong, Way wrong. <laughs> you know, but it's, it's definitely, not a bad thing to know jujitsu, you know what I mean? Especially oh, yeah, as, sure. as an operator, you're dealing with human beings and you're not just, you know, you're not just going to go in and fucking kill everyone on target. You know, there, could that happen? Yeah, absolutely. But is that going to happen? Probably not. And you're going to have to deal with human beings and, you know, anything from just marshalling them to a full on fight for your life is, combatives related you know so i covered all of that in my um program and and i really focused on um basic simple things that you could remember during a time of stress you know like you're not going to remember 12 steps to an arm bar or something like that when you're in a situation and you need it you know what i mean especially in a combative situation overseas like that's your adrenaline is going to be going like crazy it's going to be fast you need something simple effective and that you know that you can uh remember easily and it's also you know how it is like in a in a workup you're 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 getting fed through a fire hose essentially there's so much shit you're you're learning and you're expected to be proficient and like perfect at at all of it before you go out the door so our combatives, we didn't get a whole lot of time, you know, it was like a two week thing. And so I, I really focused on developing techniques and things that, you know, uh, and would also be, uh, effective, effective, uh, towards your enemy or your, your person that you're dealing with, but also mitigate risk to the operator, you know, like, muzzle strikes are great because you can muzzle strike a hundred people in a row and your hands feel fine. You know, (laughs) you're not worried about breaking your your weapons in control the whole time. You know, So, you know, that was kind of my focus was operationally focused mindset. And, um, you know, and, and 
on the West Coast, I felt like uh, from what I had seen go- going out there and, and working with those guys, it was a lot of uh, – I felt like more guys were interested in combatives, but there, it was more of like a sporty kind of thing. Like they were up in the fight room doing jujitsu and stuff like that, and which, which I thought was great. Like I said, it's better – it's definitely better to – to you know have it and not need it than need it and not have it and uh so i think that it was good that guys were doing that but i didn't think that it was operationally focused enough you know like i don't think that you should be training combatives and pt gear you know like i had my i like the program that i set up was all scenario driven and it was all like train like you fight you know so in your in your camis in your boots with your gear you know because handling someone in PT gear versus handling someone in, you know, a full kit is totally different as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's, it's, um, you know, I was, the the discussion that used to happen a lot with all this stuff, because believe me, I was in this discussion for a long, long, sure. long time. You, you, you reach, uh, or you get a ton of fucking uh, pushback. People are super, people it's are taboo. super emotional about, um, combatives. about combatives and you know I would always like I wasn't I wasn't as emotional as I I wasn't very emotional about it but it, for me it was just like hey guys need to know how to do this this is this isn't about emotion this is about just the facts of being ready to be be prepared to being prepared on the battlefield that's what you need to be and you know one of the things that people would say was you know um, the like the speed shooting contests, you shouldn't do that because it'll take away from your operational capability. Okay, I get it. However, who does better on the range? The guy that's like a a, a hobby shooter too, and then goes out to whatever CQC, he's drilling nails all day long. Same thing with uh, parachuting. Like, oh, okay, so I skydive, whatever. I'm a I'm a skydiver on the weekends, and I like to go down and have a ton of jumps. I have you know two thousand jumps with my slick rig. How do I do when I put a combat equipment on? I do awesome. I'm way better than like a guy like me because I wasn't like a recreational skydiver. Whenever I put equipment on, it was like, it was it was a, yeah, I had to pay attention. Whereas the guys that were good skydivers in the civilian side, they were good. Same thing with like, oh, who's gonna do better um, in, a, in a grappling match? A guy that wrestled in high school with his gear on or a guy that didn't, you know, has his gear on, yeah. it's like it doesn't matter. You get certain skill level and you're gonna do great, and that's just the way it is. Now, what you can't do is just say, oh, well, we're never gonna train with gear on because there are certain, you know, it's like saying, hey, we're never gonna train with the gi. If you if someone never trained with the gi before, and they go against someone with the gi, it depends on how long that person's been training with the gi for. Because, hey, no gi and gi have all kinds of similarities. Mm-hmm. They have all kinds of similarities. They also have some differences, and depending on, how much you do of each is where you're going to kind of shake out which one you're better at. But there is there is so much crossover between gi and no gi, between skydiving on the weekends and skydiving in the teams and shooting on the weekends and shooting in the teams. The way I always looked at it was train more. Train exactly. train all the time with everything, you know, as much as you can. And that's, that's how you get better at things. But, yeah, that combatives thing was um, – and it still is. A, it still is. I know. It's 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 hard. It's hard to 
change it's a it's a taboo thing for some reason and and it totally depends on who's who's at the the head of the table yeah you know what 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 their flavor is what their take is on it and if the guy you know is like you or me and then it's like hey we're all gonna fucking we all need to know this we all need to do it and then other guys come in they're like ah that shit's stupid we don't need that yeah and i was i always when someone would say guys should be working on shooting I'd say you, I totally agree. Absolutely, mm-hmm. you know, give us a range, you know, in the building, and we'll, we'll do that in the building because that's without question our primary weapon system, and you know, no doubt, I you, you want to be a great shot for sure. Guess what? How many hours are you going to shoot a day? Yeah, I mean, are you going to shoot twenty two hours a day? Because you're going to have some time at some point where you go, you know what? Let's get some other skills in here. <laughs> you know, we might as well know. And like you said earlier. You can't just go, you don't just go on target and shoot everyone. There's a, there's a female, you know, Dave Burke, who's one of the guys at Echelon Front. Good deal, Dave. Yeah, he, he, has a, he has a story that he tells about the first time he came face to face with this like Iraqi woman that did not want him in the house. And he's, you know, whatever, a 18 year Marine at this point, and he didn't know what to do. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. You 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 need to train. You need to train to handle those situations. And and a lot of people, you know, the p- people are unpredictable. They For sure, are just totally unpredictable. And especially in a situation where they don't know, like a bunch of people with guns and body armor just busted up in their fucking house. Like, you think that person's gonna be like just cool as a cucumber or calm? Like. I don't know. And then when you put hands on people too, mm. people freak the fuck out. And, and, you know, and you don't need to just muzzle strike everyone. Like you said, like yeah. if you do that, you're going to get shut down real quick. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you're, you should be as an elite warrior, you should be expected, or at least I expect people to handle themselves like, and you shouldn't let this fucking Iraqi woman just walk all over you or fucking flail around because like mm-hmm. you don't know what to do. I can't muzzle strike her. I can't shoot her. So what what do I got to mm-hmm. do? You know what I mean. And if you've never and that's just like a woman, but if let a now you have like a fighting age male or something, and you know oh if he resists I'll just kill. Him. No, that's it's not the case always. You know it's definitely not yeah. like yeah. and. Uh, you know, it, you definitely don't want the first time that you're handling a human being like that to be overseas when it's real and they can, you know, very easily get to your shit on your kit and, you know, uh, it can be a bad day. And especially like I tell people, you know, just think of like muzzle, muzzle discipline and awareness, you know, like when you have your gun even at high ready and then you're marshalling someone and they freak the fuck out now all of a sudden you've got a hot weapon mm-hmm. like going around the room it's just shit that there's so much things that you you need to think about and uh the more you do it the more comfortable you're going to be with it and that was kind of my mindset towards it at what point did you realize you were going to get out um well I wasn't I wasn't sure I I was fighting and stuff and I was just kind of doing that as as for fun as a hobby on the weekends and competing and stuff like that uh and then I had gone out and trained at Black House with some UFC fighters and uh I had already I had always like looked at the UFC 
you know, I was, I was, always, I was always a fan, um, and I enjoyed fighting and stuff. And but I'd always looked at those guys like they were kind of superhuman or like like it was like the NFL of fighting. Like those guys are genetic freaks or whatever. You know what I mean? When you think of someone in the NFL, you're just like, man, it must be nice to be born like that, you know, or whatever. But fighting's kind of a unique thing where I don't know anyone can do it and uh as long as you just put in the the work you know what i mean so and being a genetic freak helps too <laughs> but uh but i had gotten there i had gotten to black house and i trained with some of the people in the ufc and i was just like holy shit like i'm actually like doing fine like i'm hanging with these guys and and i'm you know talking to them and and just kind of getting to know some of these guys and it just made it a little more human you know, and it's like, well, what did you do before you were a fighter? Like, oh, I fucking worked at a restaurant. You know, I was a busboy or whatever. I was, uh, you know, this, that, third. And I was just thinking, you know, and they're all looking at me like, dude, dude, you're a fucking Navy SEAL. Like, and I'm just like, yeah, but that's all I've ever known. That's all I've ever done. I did right out of high school, you know. And uh, and I'm just me, you know, and I know, like, I'm not special. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it just kind of made it had a like a shift or like a realization like these are just people just like you and and they just fucking stuck with fighting and practiced it until they were good enough to beat you know the competition and now they're here and i was like fuck i i could do that like i'm pretty good you know and um yeah and i've been through some shit like i could push myself hard like fuck i could do this and at the time, like I was, I had already been a SEAL for a while, and and you know, I got to experience a, a ton and life, and just in war, and and just that whole lifestyle and that whole thing, and and uh, I was just at a crossroads, you know, and I was like, well. I can stay in and make a career out of this like I was planning on doing. I was planning on staying in for 20 years. Um, and, you know, I can screen and, you know, try and make it over there. and Or I can get out and and kind of pursue this. And and at the time I was 29 or, or yeah, I was 27 when I was, like, making this decision. And um, I was like, you know, fighting is kind of a young man's game. And... uh like you read earlier in the beginning of this, like you can't, you can't even pause time. You know, it waits for no one. And uh, I was like, well, if I, if I just keep down this road, I, I, I don't want to think like what if or like regret. You know. And I was like, I've already, I've already been on this path for a while, and and it's cool and all that, but I want to see what else I can do. So I. And I was really fucking struggling with, with that decision for a long time. It was stressing me out. And uh, then once I just said fuck it and just decided, you know, which way I was going, then the like all that stress, like relief, just it was a big reliever. And uh, yeah, decided to get out. And, and what what year was that? Um, I got out in 2018. And how many amateur fights did you have when you were in? Uh, like 17 or something. And then, and did you go pro while you were still in? No, they wouldn't let me. And that was like, 
it was so frustrating to me because in Virginia, the amateur rule set is the exact same as pro. Mm -hmm. So it's day before weigh-ins, you know, all strikes, like elbows, no shin pads, you know, it's four ounce gloves, Mm -hmm. no headgear. You know, it's, 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 uh, it's fucking pro. Five minute rounds? Uh, No, they were three, three, three minute rounds. Three minute rounds. Yeah. Three minute rounds. Um, but some some of them had five minute rounds, mm-hmm. like I fought in North Carolina. Um, so yeah, it was no different, you know. And uh, trying to explain that to like my command and shit, and I'm like, there is literally no difference. And a guess what? Like a punch from punch in the face from an amateur feels the same yeah. from a pro. That's what I'll tell you what. Man. <laughs> like those that bruise that came from an amateur it would have came from a pro too. Dude, when I talked to Tim Kennedy about this, like it's so crazy. The army gave that guy and gives him so much. I mean, he's a great guy and obviously a incredible fighter, but yeah, I mean, he was just full on just getting after it, man. Well, and he still is. Yeah, man. and they support him. Yeah, he's all it's awesome. They, it's they, awesome. They man, I ran into total fucking roadblocks left yeah. and right with my fighting and um you know and i use the argument all the time like guys you brian don't stand same way brian stand yeah he was in the marine corps yeah he i was, talk, he I was talked a to damn brian. officer of the marine corps just out there fighting the wec <laughs> but the uh the fucking <laughs> no like, training tim, tim kennedy they they sponsored him yeah yeah you know there what was i mean a, it's like ranger up or whatever yeah well rangers up is is actually tim's comp uh, company no Tim but for a while Tim Tim was like he I forget the exact story but he he was sponsored by like the army yeah for a while they were using he, it as like a recruiting yeah. tool and then he <laughs> said listen you can either keep paying me a sponsorship or you can just let me come back on active duty and and they were like uh, that sounds like a good financial deal for us so yeah Tim Tim's yeah and that's and that's why I kind of was forced to to choose mm. because I was running into so much fucking bullshit. Yeah. And, um, you know, like Glory, uh, Glory had come to town and they were doing a fight at the Hampton Coliseum. And, um, you know, at this point I had already had quite a, quite a few fights under my belt and had some, uh, popularity, I guess, as a fighter. And, and they had heard about me and, um, they invited me to to fight on the show and Mike Tyson was going to be there and shit. And I was like, man, this is going to be a fucking huge opportunity. It's on spike TV too. And, um, I was, you know, I was like, can I, can I fight on this? And, and they're like, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll see what we can do, blah, blah, blah. And then last, you know, last minute they, they told me no, you know? And I was just like, fuck. If I would have been your boss, you would have been fighting. <laughs> I, I know. And that's, that's the shitty part is like, you know, it depends on who's, yeah. who's at the, at the table at the moment. Who's and you know, now that I think about it, cause I'm just sitting here thinking like, I, there's probably a, in fact, I remember seeing some kind of policy that they put in place at some point. And I forget even if it was yes or no, right. I forget, but, I don't but, even remember. <laughs> but my argument to the, was like all the time was like, like just same one with the skydiving, you know, I'm like mm. guys fucking skydive all the time. There's leapfrogs, you yeah. know, why don't, why don't the Navy, why doesn't the Navy use me as a, a recruiting tool? You know, like I, I would, I don't want to get out of the teams. Yeah. I, I want to stay in the teams, but I also want to fight and like, I can do this. Like, I was ranked number one on the East Coast in two weight classes, you know, and I was like, I'm pretty good at this shit, like, you know, and 
it I don't understand why we don't utilize this uh, utilize me as a recruiting tool yeah. you know go to the fights set up a fucking pull up bar hand out t-shirts and go. try and hand you know or go to the they, they had me go to the national uh, high school wrestling contest or, or mm-hmm. uh, tournament mm-hmm. and they had me do like a combatives demonstration and and had me go out there and wrestle with all the, the high school students and Damn. stuff and <laughs> yeah I fucking brought it yeah, yeah. I'll tell you what man smashing frog the, baby uh, the uh, you know I was up at the California State Championships l- last year or no it was 2019 yeah it was like a hy- bunch of hyenas out well there. yeah I mean my, 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 my daughter was competing and but you know we're up there and the boys they're just animals they're animals it's it's awesome to see yeah, yeah. it's 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 no, outstanding those, those, dude, those kids were fucking tough oh yeah they bring and, it. and they fucking they all wanted some oh sure you know? they did they were like and and because i was there in like cami cami pants you know yeah. and the fucking blue udt seal shirts and and uh we brought the pull-up bar and and you know because the I think but buds likes they try to get wrestlers for sure they do because wrestlers you know wrestlers I, I don't even want to say wrestlers have a good chance of making it through buds because no that's not true it's definitely not true they have a slightly How, better chance than a normal person, right however person that did not however wrestlers are used to a fucking grind mm. and that's probably <laughs> why they're a little bit more comfortable and used to the grind yeah. factor of buds that does not mean they're used to getting cold and wet and dealing with all that shit but they're used to dealing with the grind so whatever and they're competitive so uh so we went there and yeah all those all these fucking high school wrestlers <laughs> are looking at me like i got something to prove you know or whatever and and i'm out there representing the fucking seal team yeah. so i'm like hey i got something to prove too let's go young buck <laughs> and uh so we we no, it was a good time. But I was like, why why don't they fucking? They're cool with this, but not like fighting. Like, what's the difference? Like, I don't know. So I just ran into tons of frustrating headaches like that, and that's what re- ultimately decided to. Mm-hmm. You know, I was just decided to go go this way, and I'm glad I did. But um, yeah, and that's you know, I gotta say, like the SEAL teams, I, I never tried to fight pro but like the seal teams was totally support like i would go and train at places they'd give me well the west coast was yeah a lot different than the east yeah. coast you guys you guys were definitely more supported on that kind of stuff Crazy. extracurricular Check. things so you get out and then when did you go pro uh right after i got out so you've been pro I, for I a year and a half two years right yeah, now a year and a half and how many fight pro fights do you have i've only done two pro fights so far um i uh, won my first one by uh, TKO in the third round. It was a good, really good fight um, uh, against uh, another pro who he was a pro boxer as well, and, and he had called me out and kind of campaigned for the fight or whatever. And cool. So I obliged, and uh, <laughs> and then uh, and then I did my uh, LFA debut. Um, I, I fight in a sunga. I don't know if you've seen. Um, any pictures or videos of me? I have unfortunately seen that. Yeah. <laughs> you can't unsee it. <laughs> You're welcome. No. Uh, so that's actually my buddy, uh, Jeff Gum. He owns that company. Yeah, I know and, Jeff. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so obviously, like, I try to support other team guys and, and their ventures and stuff like that. And, you know, uh, I'm that was right up my alley with the uh, 
I thought it was funny. If, I'll pretty much do anything if I think it's funny. And uh, so I, f- I fought in the Sunga, which is, for those of you who don't know, it it's kind of looks like a uh, American flag diaper sort of thing. But it's sexy. Yeah, well, it's from Brazil. <laughs> in yeah. Brazil, there's a Sunga and there's a Sungao. And I think the Sunga is like the smaller one. And the Sungao is like a little bit. But they're they're Speedos. Yeah, they're they're essentially Speedos. speedos so. They're Speedos and... Dean Lister, because he has so much Brazilian influence in his brain, he went through his phase of training <laughs> with a Sangal. And and uh, that, those were some of the worst years of my life, to be honest with you. <laughs> well, don't, no, North South. We can't do that today. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I'm, yeah. I'm not, I'm very anti Sunga and uh, Sangal. Well, but, but you, you know, you go for it. Well, I'd actually. Hey, it's if. If I wouldn't, it would make me want to fight you less. Yeah. If you were wearing that, so you got that little psychological right. edge it, it was, or it was like confusing to them. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Which time. is, fun. I mean, do you remember? Were you watching like UFC when everyone was when all the Brazilians were still wearing them in UFC, and they still do sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen some of them. Yeah. But anyways. But I thought it was funny. So uh, I so I got a little cup patch sewn into it so I could put my cup in it, and that was my my new fighting attire, and. Uh, yeah, I went out. It it couldn't have. Uh, I don't know. It was awesome. We'll say that. Uh, I went out. I, I fought on LFA on national TV, and um, I w- it was during a military appreciation fight, and so we d- they hosted the fight in at an army base, and it was in a hangar you know with helicopters and we've got all these people all these active duty army people in their uniforms and stuff in the crowd and uh you know here i am the the navy seal and the american flag speedo and and come out to fight um and got knocked out in <laughs> 30 <laughs> seconds <laughs> so i was like eh, can't get really that much worse from here so that's cool dang but now it was it was actually they called it the craziest 31 seconds in lfa history yeah i watched it yeah. i watched it it was, it was normally i don't have a lot of time to watch fights yeah i had time for, for yeah. that <laughs> but yeah that's uh i i, I saw don't it blink. I think you posted it somewhere, or I, somebody I posted sent the, it. I to posted me. the yeah, whole yeah, video. Yeah. I mean, which some, which so many people were were so con- like they were like, "Wow, I can't believe you posted this!" And like you sat him down first, right? Didn't you sit him down? No. So he had a fourteen inch reach on me. Uh-huh. He was six six three and um fucking big ass dude. And honestly, like I didn't even know. Like we were we were real cordial with each other, like at weigh ins and stuff like that. So I wasn't sure if like we were going to touch gloves or not. You know, because it's always kind of a. Mm. I feel like they should just like make that a, a rule. Like you are, or you 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 either do or you don't. It's a rule with me now. Mm. <laughs> so, but uh, I I wasn't sure if we were gonna touch gloves or not. And like kind of coming out, dude. He honestly he hit me like I didn't even know he could reach me from where he was. <laughs> and it was just like I think from that 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 big weight. Cu- I do a big weight cut and. Uh, I think it just, you know, just fucking just put me on Queer Street right away. And uh, so right out of the gates, I I was rocked and and was kind of f- fell down and was just get, he'd swarm me and I was just getting punches thrown at me uh, left and right. And I'm just kind of like seeing stars trying to gain my composure. And then I finally like got backed up in into one, against the cage and and uh gained my composure for a second, landed a one, a clean one, two and, and dropped him. 
and then uh, ran over, like got excited when I dropped him down, <laughs> kind of went over towards him and, and fucking just, I think probably my coordination was just kind of off still from just getting rocked. And, and I literally just tripped right over, head over him <laughs> over his body and then as we're both standing up he fucking threw another punch and that was it so and i was just like god damn it i'm a fucking navy seal on a army base like fighting in an american flag speedo on national tv and just got knocked the fuck out yeah good yeah. times <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but you know Whatever. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's that's a hey, man. You're getting out there. Hey, yeah. That's what you got to do. That's what it is. There's there's a, there's going to be a winner and a loser. That's right. And and if you the real losers are the ones that are actually not getting in the ring. Hey, so. you know, a lot a lot more times than not, I've come out victorious. So uh, it is what it is. I I don't. It doesn't slow me down. Doesn't bum me out or whatever. Just part of it. And I I understand that going into it. It's a risk I'm willing to take. And what's your next fight? Um, we're setting up one, uh, looking at August 25th in uh, Riverside, hopefully, with the LFA. So hopefully that goes through, and and I'll be all set to go. Ready, Any idea ready on an opponent in. yet? No. I don't care who it is. Just I just want someone. Yeah. I don't care. Like, I, I never really care who my opponent is, honestly. I don't, I don't look at really their skill set or I never have really I don't care because I've dealt with people just so much and like combatives and and jujitsu and fighting it's just like people are unpredictable mm-hmm. and that's what I stick with like you may think you have a game plan figured out and then all of a sudden they do something different and I don't even want to be thinking about oh, well, I thought he was going to do this, and I had this set up for this, and you know what I mean? Like I, I know what you mean. I will say this. When you find out who your opponent is, you got to watch them. you got to watch them. you got to at least figure out, because there's people that have things. They have their game, and if they have that game and you and you know about it, as you know, like if, if you know I'm good at whatever, you'll defend that thing, right? right? And if you don't know it, well, then I'll, I'll get you in that situation, right? If you really, let's like, um, what, well, anybody, anybody, if you, everyone's got that thing at their game that they're good at, right? Mm-hmm. And like in jujitsu, hey, this guy's got a good guillotine, this guy's got a good arm lock, this guy's got fl- good heel hooks or whatever. Everyone's got their little thing. And if they're good at it, then that's what they'll kind of steer you towards. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, so I always, and, and I always say, look, I get it. We don't care who the opponent is, but when you find out who your opponent is, take a look. You know, send, send it to me. Let me look at yeah, it. You yeah. know what I mean? Because like I've been watching these For sure. things forever to say, hey, looks like this guy's got this. And you also have to watch more than you know. You gotta watch like three or four fights and see if they have any grappling tournaments that are posted on Naga or whatever on YouTube. You know, and you find out what kind of game they have. And if you can do that, then you can learn from it and you can take it into the. You can take it into the cage with you. Yeah, no, I, I'm definitely not opposed to doing that at all. I just, uh, I just don't put all my eggs in the basket. For sure. You know what I mean? For sure. And that way, I don't. If if shit doesn't go according to plan, yeah. like that's cool because they're we'll going to evolve too. Yeah, for they're sure. They're going to evolve, but guess what? They'll go back to. They'll go back to what they're good at. You right. know what I mean? So that's another thing to think about. Yeah. Well, cool. Um, I. <laughs> I uh, so that glory, that actual story, um, 
when I had gotten told no, uh, that I wasn't able to do that fucking event in, in Hampton Road. So I was, I was really bummed out. And, uh, so I ended up actually just calling the guy. I already like had decided at that point. I was like, you know what? Fuck this. I'm getting out of the Navy. Like I'm, I don't want, I don't want to be told what I can and can't do or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, and, uh, so I called the, the guy back and said, well, when's your next one? And he was like, oh, we got we got another, another one coming up in San Diego. And I said, put me on that one. And I, so I just took leave and was like, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to San Diego. And I ended up fighting on the glory card <laughs> in San Diego. I just took leave and, and went out there and did it anyway. And, uh, ended up knocking the guy out in the second round. Right on. Yeah, that's pretty good cool. outcome. Yeah. Well, this is a, a pretty good spot since we're up to current events. What else? I know you got your supplement company. You got T-shirts. What else? How can people support what you got going on? Um, <clears throat> I would say uh, the biggest uh, biggest way is probably on Instagram. Um, that's my really my only platform. Uh, I put out a lot of content on Instagram. I do uh, my live streams from there. I thought about doing a podcast as well, but but uh, I think I'm just going to stick to my Instagram lives and just kind of treat them as podcasts or whatever. Because uh, I like talking and interacting with with my supporters a lot, and uh, you know, so and I figure people will get bored just talking to me for a long time in a room like this I don't know <laughs> but uh yeah I would say uh follow me on Instagram at uh, at Mitch Aguiar um and yeah we've got a supplement company um our main product is a thing called the Smashing Greens that's what I gave you today yeah and uh that that actually is a blend of different organic superfoods um so I watched this documentary called fat sick and nearly dead i don't know if you've seen it or not i have not it's on netflix and uh this guy he he was really overweight and had this some sort of skin disease and he ended up getting a a juicer and ended up doing 60 days of just vegetable juice and uh he ended up losing a ton of weight and um his skin disease cleared up and just like the doctors were just like blown away at 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 how healthy he had become, you know, just from, from doing all this and learned about micronutrients and all this stuff. So I was like, man, that seems like a cool, uh, cool thing. Like I want to try it. You know, I've never fasted before or anything like that. And, uh, went out and bought a juicer and it was, it was a fucking pain in the ass to clean that thing like three times a day. And I was having, I had to buy like $30 worth of vegetables every day to make enough juice to, you know, put into a glass that would somewhat keep me full. And I was just like, there's gotta be a better way than this shit. And so, uh, ended up going to a uh, vitamin shop and saw like organic, freeze-dried wheatgrass and you just add water to it and I was like oh my god that's so much better you know so I went and basically picked out a bunch of ingredients that I did research on that you know things that I wanted and um and uh put them all into like a shaker cup and added water and drank it and did did a fast that way and uh, it was obviously much cheaper, much better, like just more conven- way more convenient and everything like that. And I just didn't have anything to post on Instagram one day. And uh, 
And so I just shared it. I was just like, hey, this is kind of a concoction that I came up with. And and I do my I do a five day fast like this and uh, just kind of makes me feel good, helps me lose weight. And then I started doing that, like cutting weight for my fights. Mm -hmm. And um, and then people it just fucking caught on like wildfire. Like everyone was like, what is that? What is that? And then I was like, look, I'm not associated with these companies at all. You know, like these aren't. I don't get it paid for this. Like, this is just here. This is what I do. And like put it, laid it all out there. And it's like, you can get all these products on Amazon or your local vitamin shop or whatever. And just made it as idiot proof as I could. And I was just getting bombarded with questions nonstop. But, but it was like a lot of people were having like a ton of success fasting with that and losing weight. So I was like, well, that's pretty cool. You know, like I'm really, I'm down to help people you know, better themselves. And I enjoy like pushing people and pushing myself and trying to be better and everything. So, um, so I stuck with it and just kept, kept answering all the questions or whatever. And then after like a year and a half or so, I ended up, um, making my own, you know, I was just like, well, I might as well fucking make this my own product. And so I found a way to, to kind of make that come to life. And, um, took all those products basically and just put them into one, removed all the fillers and all the bullshit in there and just was like, you know, I didn't know anything about the supplement industry or anything like that. I just never intended on on doing that, but just kind of came about and, uh, you know, delivered a product that was way more convenient than everyone was already using and buying all these other things. And now, now it's like my product and they're able to support me and now it's like i don't you know i don't have an issue answering these questions now that that you're buying my product you know what i mean so um now it's it's been super awesome because we've had just a ton of people lose so much weight and like my brother lost 110 pounds you know using it so it really works, which is cool, you know, and it, and it's really helpful for people and it's changing their lives. And like, I'm all about that. And now like it's supporting me financially now that I'm not out, you know, in the Navy anymore. Cause I didn't, I didn't get a retirement or anything like that. I just got out. So, um, so yeah, it's super cool. And, and, uh, the supplement in uh, company, like now that I've been in it for a little while, like, I'm starting to get more understanding of it and, and, uh, we're, we're doing pre-workout protein, BCAAs, all that stuff, like kind of expanding it. Mm -hmm. And, and, um, you know, now I'm like really involved with it and, and I'm just treating it like everything else. Like I always try to, uh, you know, under promise and over deliver. And like, I always want to make sure that like people are getting, like a something good you know i don't want to ever feel like i gypped someone or got one over or something like that like when people come to use my products like i want them to be like a fucking satisfied yeah for you sure know what i mean so, that's the best policy to have make the best yeah stuff so just you can don't make. skimp you know like my 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 end game is not to make the most profit like i want an actual good fucking product like that my name's behind you know and i'm proud of What's the uh, what's the website? Um, you can either go to smashinfrog.com or massifsupplements.com, M-A-S-F supplements.com. Either one, they go to the same place. But 
Yeah, and uh, we got T-shirts and stuff, but uh, I'm I'm basically streamlining my T-shirts because uh, I had massive apparel, and uh, I just made a bunch of T-shirts that that I wanted to make. You know, that were like personal to me like the mindset is everything attitude is contagious don't be a pussy be humble you know these are shirts that like i've kind of made all the shirts that i want to make and i made them i was kind of a t-shirt snob uh before i had my company and then once i made my company and like got into the apparel industry like i just wanted like really comfortable nice fitting good quality t-shirts and printed my own shit on them and that's all i wear now but I'm just streamlining it down to a couple that I like, and um, I'm actually launching a new brand pretty soon that I'm very excited about. Cool, so, cool, right on, man. Yeah. So uh, if you follow me on Instagram, you'll uh, you can keep up with all that stuff I got going on, and and uh, watch my future fights, and hopefully I don't get knocked out. <laughs> <laughs> Echo, you got anything? What happened with that dodgeball fight you're talking about? Oh man, uh, it was oddly enough, it was in a church also. Dang. So Dang. I got into a dodgeball church fight. <laughs> dodgeball church. Ball. Did you win that one? I did, right and on. uh, knocked the guy's tooth out. Um, we we were there to uh, practice our dodgeball, and um, we were taking it very seriously. You know, because there was a tournament coming up that I think had like a five hundred dollar prize. Which, when you're like sixteen, five hundred dollars is a million. Yeah, yeah that'll go a yeah, long might way. Might as well be. Yeah, go a long way. So you know, the stakes were high, and uh, we were, we were, we were there, and there was some local jokers that were just you know not taking it seriously and like just fucking with our practice and stuff and. And Dude, if there's one thing that makes me angry, <laughs> legitimately angry, is when people aren't taking dodgeball seriously. <laughs> you know, it just yeah. oh, yeah. and it was there was a time for joking around, there was a time for seriousness, yeah. and you know that wasn't the time. And ended up, you know, I ended up saying something to this dude, and just just kind of fucking mouthed off, and you know, my tempers tempers flared and mm, escalated. Yeah, Damn. things escalated and ended up getting into like a full on brawl. Like Hold on. Dodgeball. dodgeball, dodgeball gang brawl. Fight. It was yeah. a dodge brawl. Dodge brawl. <laughs> dodge brawl. There you go. So thank it's, you. It's a good time. Well, awesome. Um, hey, speaking of fighting, sure, and smashing things, sure. I mean, Echo. Yes. We want to be better at fighting. We want to be better at living. What do you got? What do you got for us? I got a few things. You know. So we'll start with jujitsu, right? Mm-hmm. You too. Mm-hmm. You like gi or no gi better? Um, I'm starting to like no gi better, I would say, just because I feel like it's more applicable to the cage. However, um, you know, like Jocko was saying earlier, I, I agree wholeheartedly. I think that everyone who trains jujitsu should train in a gi as well because. I, you know, there are a lot of similarities and I feel like if you only train no gi and then you go against someone with a, put a gi on with mm. any sort of decent skill level, you're yep. going to get fucking choked yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, uh, it just, the gi slows everything down and it, it's a, it's a totally different animal. And the thing is like, you can train in a gi all the time and take the gi off 
and roll with someone nogi and you're you're gonna do fine you're you're still doing jujitsu you know what i mean mm-hmm. it's a different game but it's not that much different yeah. but going from nogi to gi very different so yeah. that's yeah. why I, th- I think i think people should definitely train in a gi still yeah agree yeah both is best for sure um, yeah, the gi adds these elements that if you only train no gi, you're not used to those elements. And if someone else is used to those elements, mm-hmm. all the no gi, ele- well, most of the no gi elements are in the gi, you mm-hmm. know, like the, right. those elements are there for the most part. Of course, and clothes, you know, like using like in a, if you were getting a street fight, yeah, like mm-hmm. you can use clothes like a gi. Right. So it gives you the, even that many more options. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I agree. Well, speaking of gis, what gi we're going to get? Everyone's doing jujitsu now. I feel like it's growing. Essentially. So what kind of gear are we getting? Origin gi. You know why we're getting origin geese? Because they're made in America and they are factually the best geese in the world. Rash guards as well. Okay, so where do we get them? We get them at originmain.com. That's also where we're getting jeans, Yeah. by the way. And I got mine, by the way. Approval level? 100. <laughs> you know, I'm always reluctant <laughs> to say, you know, 101% approval. But here, I'm going to say it. 101% approval because they exceeded, literally exceeded my expectations. And your expectations were high. Were, yeah, 100%. I was like, yeah, the way you're talking, the way they, you know, PD does a good job in building these things up. You know, yeah. he's taking close-up pictures of the buttons coming out of the factory. That it's, it's really good. So I'm like, all right, expectation, expectation level is high, 100%. These have to be five-star jeans, essentially. They're like five-star plus some added things that I was impressed with. So, yes, 100, 101% approval. Yes. So, jeans, you can get them. T-shirts. Rash guards. Uh, supplements. Stuff. Supplements, yes. So, what kind of supplements? Joint warfare, mm-hmm. which I'm happy. To, man, I've been on the joint warfare. I think it's been one year consistent. Joint mm-hmm. warfare, krill oil. So approved. 100% approved. <laughs> Actually, adding value, providing value, even beyond what you might think in the beginning. Because, yeah. you, know, you know, when we're young, you know, we're all young guys or whatever, you don't care. The, you know, you have muscle soreness, you have all this stuff or whatever. The joint soreness is one of those things that just kind of creeps up on you. But if you're on top of that, that doesn't take it. It'll take you out of the game if you're not ready. Preventative. Yeah. And when it comes about, I, I get, like, elbow stuff from lifting and stuff. Um, but if... If I was on like joint warfare, glucose being conjoined, any any one of these things that they did recommend when I started grappling, by the way, if I was on that, I would have never got out of the game at any point. Unless the point is, get your joint warfare, get your krill oil, and stay on that. Get your discipline too. Yeah, fully. Get your discipline. Discipline is like all day now. Yes, sir. That's kind of where it's going. <laughs> it's, it's yeah. It's like Makes yeah. Sense. Guess what? I'm just drinking. Oh, I'm just gonna have some discipline. Right. It's kind I saw, of. I saw a, you poured this. Uh, is this what you're talking? Yeah, about? Yeah, yeah. It's just tastiness and goodness. Pre-mission? Is this a pre-workout? Yeah. It's it's not like a super. Um, there's not like a super caffeinated deal because I don't drink a lot of caffeine and I don't want to drink a lot of caffeine. Mm-hmm. So yeah. You a little you, cognitive, a you, little physical. Okay. And you yeah. and you uh, just sip this all day. Yeah, you I don't have like some in the. I won't, I won't drink it like after dinner, you know, because I, I th- there's a little bit of caffeine in it, and I don't drink a lot of caffeine. So not even in the mornings when you when you're waking up. Nope. Four thirty. Just a little bit. Of I have tea. tea, tea the, the white tea has some caffeine in it too. So I guess I do drink caffeine. But I don't drink high doses right, like right. like a like a Coffee. monster energy drink or whatever. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Speaking of energy drink, we got an energy got drink energy coming drink. out, yeah. but it's it's actually good for you. 
which is completely it's like we it's hard to call it an energy drink because energy drink puts it in a in a category with things that are actually horrible for you yeah yeah. right like the the normal energy drinks that are just horrible for you this is something that you can legitimately just drink and it's good for you yeah so that's coming out you'll see some cans of that in the near future oh yeah that's the good one also milk Mm -hmm. (laughs) if you want a dessert if you want extra protein in the form of a dessert, th- that's it. Monk. All if, flavors. If, I like that just say. If you want you, you a dessert. A, you have a mint yeah. chocolate yes. protein, right? Oh, big so mint, big mint chocolate. I have, a, I have a mint chocolate protein as well. And I was it, my my protein or uh, my supplements took a long time to come out. Like mm-hmm. way I am sure you've uh, encountered whenever you're dealing with any kind of putting out something. Yeah, yeah. It never goes according to plan and it's always longer than you're expecting or whatever. And I had done a uh, mint chocolate. I, that was just, I've been a huge fan of mint mm-hmm. my whole life, mint chocolate, whatever Me too. deliciousness. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, and I saw that you put out a mint chocolate and I was like, God damn it. Everyone is going to think I copied Jocko. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have the patent yeah. on mint chocolate. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, or they'll probably think like, dang, I thought I was the only one who loved mint chocolate better than yeah. everything else. I was like, and you know like, what? No, wait, we all kind of do. Me you and know? Jocko, yeah. we're both seals, both like jujitsu, both like mint chocolate. Yeah. Mm. Well, same thing with Pete, right? Yeah. I mean, not, not the Navy SEAL thing, but wait, was he into mint chocolate or peanut butter? Uh, he was into mint, but I think peanut butter. See, the peanut butter was kind of like the yeah, came the out of second. nowhere yeah. well, and started smashing. Well, yeah, and that makes sense because in my opinion, you know, I'm not this guy who's like, my favorite dessert is this or that. I'm not that, you know, but I will say that when you came out, it's almost like, you know, you're, you're going public with your mint chocolate uh, <laughs> love, uh, admiration. I was like, hey, hey, me too. But. Peanut butter chocolate has always been my yeah. close, close second. Yeah. Easy money. But the one that really, the strawberry, because it's just so yeah. good. Oh, yeah. But, and strawberry is a staple anyway. You know, just it's like a staple vanilla. everything, but so is vanilla. But I'm yeah. not over here, I'm not over here uh, jumping up and down about vanilla. Yeah, Hulk. but some people. I know some people will. are. I've got, I've got a cinnamon toast crunch protein coming out and I've got to think of a name for it because <laughs> I don't think I can legally call it cinnamon toast crunch. No, I don't, even, I don't, I don't know. I don't, know. Just I don't know what crunch. the rules are. Uh, I thought about thinking of, uh, you know, growing up, uh, I always had, we were kind of not so uh, financially gifted. Yeah. You want to call it that <laughs> or sure. whatever. Gifted. Living in a trailer. And yeah. uh, my mom would always get fruity dino bites, you mm, know. There and, you go. And cinnamon toast squares. <laughs> so right. I used to eat yeah. those out of the bag. Yeah. Yeah. And, Close. Uh, <laughs> That's yeah. not what the other kids eat. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, you no, know no, what? Same once, thing. once I uh, this is the special once kind. I, once yeah. I joined the Navy and started getting, you know, a good paycheck, I just, I never, you know, I never again. <laughs> I always appreciated my cereal game. It was yeah. always the the good. The real stuff. Fruity pebbles. The real There's stuff. no fruity dinobites in this house. <laughs> Get out of here with that. Yeah, yeah. It comes Check. in the bag. Right? Speaking, Speaking of that, little kids need food. That's yeah. why we got Warrior Kid Mulk. Strawberry. Boom. Chocolate. Yeah. Let really them good. eat and be healthy. And we sure. got that chocolate white tea. Yeah. Maintaining. Yeah. Yeah, my wife gets like she hits a point in the day where she's like, Man, I am considering just to go to bed right now or to bust out a Jocko White tea and Mm -hmm. just get after it. Literally says that. Decision point. Yeah. And I know the feeling, but man, she's really committed to it though. You gotta that's her go to. You gotta take something or create a supplement of some kind for a little power nap. 
because working on it. You know, I did start a rumor that you take naps. No, I, I freely admit that. Uh, <laughs> freely, yeah. That he's very I, open I, about it. I wrote, I wrote about it. I wrote about yeah. it in uh, in the Discipline Freedom Field Manual. Yeah, I mean, if I'm really tired, I elevate my feet above my heart, and I set an alarm, and I'll sleep for eight minutes. And and eight minutes. Eight minutes. Yeah. Power nap. Yep. And if you go, I mean, sometimes I'll go ten, but if you start going fifteen, twenty, then you then you're like legitimately, you'll feel groggy. But you know the deal, man. From like you were talking about sleeping in a helicopter, like you wake up from those things and you're. Totally on fire, you know. I was asleep for ten minutes, eight minutes, whatever. So yeah, I'm. I have no problem with this. I the problem with me is, uh, I don't know. I, I tend to nap better than I sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, and the like when I when I wake up, my brain just starts going, mm-hmm. and it just once that happens, it's just that's it. I'm up. So when you say a supplement for power naps, it like helps you get into like power nap state, <laughs> like that kind. I don't know. <laughs> I'm working like on that. It. Uh, that. Uh, hey, we'll look into it. Yeah, yeah that's a good idea. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we're working it. It could be your your cinnamon toast crunch uh, flavored situation. Have you, yes. ta- have you taken hypnos? Uh uh-uh. uh yeah, so origin. So we have we have this thing called hypnos, which is yeah. like a sleep but, aid. Yeah, but that's not for now. I know, that's not for yeah, you need something. You need something, something that's that just good for eight minutes. It's you, you take a rail of it <laughs> and you're out for eight minutes, just fully recharged. I'm working power on nap. It. I'm working on it. Well, wait, but technically, and I don't know. This just seems like this is true. Power nap. Okay, you know how you have like what the five phases right of sleep. Yeah, or I don't six, know what they five are, or six. Yeah, I don't either. I'm, yeah, I actually have insomnia. Yeah. So yeah. So you can have. Some, you probably jam, get jammed up somewhere in one of those stages, I, right? Power nap is stage one. I think. I'm pretty sure it's only stage one. Power nap. It depends on how tired you are. Well, then it won't be considered a power nap. If you're like super tired and you go boom all the way phase uh, stage five sleep, right? Mm. You went to do you bed. Have, do you have sleep apnea or anything? Nope. No. Yeah, I, I don't have. I did a sleep study, and I don't. I don't have sleep apnea, but I have insomnia, mm. and it's like I wake up enough. Not to actually wake me up, but like it's a, like I wake up and don't even know I'm awake. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? So I wake up. When I do wake up, I'm fucking still exhausted. Yeah. So it's great. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. <laughs> you know, I'm actually, so one of the – I actually have a, a CBD line as well, um, which I don't know if, if you get into the CBD at all. Not really, no. No. Um, but one of the products that, that we're launching is uh, a thing called Green Dreams, and it's uh, – rapid dissolve it's a rapid dissolve tablet that you put on your tongue and dissolves in like 10 seconds and it's um 25 milligrams of cbd and 10 milligrams of melatonin so but no one wants that's that's not for an eight minute yeah that doesn't no, sound no, like power, nap. power nap that's the going to bed situation <laughs> yeah that's right a there. that's a go to bed situation well, nighty night right on well the opposite of that is jock white tea because you don't take that before you go to bed maybe after you wake up in the middle of the day like my wife or whatever also, if you're into deadlifting, which we all are, of course, it'll increase it to 8,000 pounds. Proven, by the way. Mm-hmm. Double Damn. blind, triple placebo situation. <laughs> no joke. <laughs> also, we have our own store. Jocko's store. It's called Jocko's Store. We got rash guards. We do T-shirts. Have guards. Yeah. T-shirts, if you want to represent while on the path. Uh, the Trucker's hats. Yeah. For those of us that like truckers, like hats. truckers hats, yeah. which apparently... We do. They're we nice. One, yeah. one size fits all. There you go. Yeah, what about flex fit? Technically, I, I did right? the flex fit for a while, but you know, I got a small head. Wait, flex fit has two sizes though. I know. Yeah, so you're you right. gotta get yeah, you gotta get the small size, medium or the large yeah. XL. And I don't know nothing about the. You're uh, not flex. even nope. about that at all. Don't know anything turn, about. Turn it. you back to it. Hoodies, hat snob over here. Yeah, hoodies, lightweight. And do you find 
use for a lightweight hoodie? Definitely. All yeah. the time, year-round. Yes, sir. I agree. Not everyone the, agreed with that one. Do I they have the zippers? Yes. Yeah, well, yes. So the ones we have, yes, they have a zipper. I'm a fan Zip of the, I'm a fan of the zipper, yeah. the zipper light hoodie with the pockets. Yeah. Agree. I, I honestly, I don't even have any of my own in my apparel line at the moment, but yeah. uh, I'm a fan of those. Yeah. Big I'm time. not. Me too. Yeah. Well, dang. Echo is. Dang. You know. I mean. You know, I'm just either t-shirt or heavy hoodie. That's uh, where it's yeah. at. All functional, and I get it. You know, <laughs> but. That's Most like a gee, man. A, zip, a zipped up, uh, non or a zipping yeah. lightweight. That's yeah. a fucking gee. Bit. Yeah, play some worm guard with that one for sure. <laughs> and uh, you know, hopefully it looks good. Hope you, hopefully you like the design. But you will be representing while you're on the path. A lot of good stuff on there. JockoStore.com. Some patches on there too. I reordered some more patches. They're coming in. Thank what I, you. I, did, I made a mistake. Hey, I made a mistake. I don't want to go too deep into it, but Thank it you. resulted in <laughs> the patches not being available for a little while. They're going to be available. You so know, boom. You, you can't buy what's not available. So, yeah. Good job. Yeah, that's what they were telling me, too. And I was like, dang, okay, all right. So, you know, you learn something new every day. And, uh, you know, speaking of which. Right on top of things. Trying to be. Check. Trying to be. Uh, <laughs> trying to be. Anyway, smash the like button. Oh, wow, my daughter keeps saying that to me. Oh. She and she doesn't even know what that means. I think she halfway knows what that means. Yeah. She's like, smash the like button. And I was like, bro, the, the video that you're pretending to make doesn't even have a like button. No, you no, know? but you need to just. I gotta cut it out. It no, no, no. I gotta stop her from saying that. That's what I gotta say. But if you're in the mood to smash the like button, if you want to subscribe to this podcast, you can. So do that if you want on wherever you uh, listen to podcasts. And don't Boom. forget about the Warrior Kid podcast, which there are now three new Warrior Kid podcasts live. At this time, yeah, good ones. Stories too. from Uncle Jake. Yeah, stories that teach lessons. An interview with John Bozak, the Warrior Kid artist that drew Mike and the Dragons, yeah. talking about how to get better at art, how to use art as a tool, tool, yeah, get better at other things. Yeah, so, that was good, man. That was good. That that was like, are you? Do you do any art? Uh, I d- I didn't draw in my books, no. But I mean, yeah, I can draw. Yeah. yeah, he sent me uh man, and I'm gonna post this online. I, Everybody I do can see oil paintings. Oh, for real? Yeah, like Bob have Ross. You, have you been into that for like a long time, or is that like a new situation? Uh, I did my first painting in 2000, Easter of 2016. Yeah, so kind of new. Kind, right? Oh yeah, it's definitely. not like oh, when I was three, I did my. No, you know. no, definitely not. Yeah. Jocko has the original logo, or I have the original logo of Echelon Front. Mm-hmm. It's Jocko's design. Actually, he designed some other stuff too. Yeah, that's on question. So he things. drew it, right? But so no, the the, the, <laughs> the disconnect okay. uh-huh. was that I uh-huh. drew it. Mm-hmm. I didn't draw it on with a, with my hand. I drew it on the computer, like I drew it on PowerPoint. Know, like an idiot, so bad. But oh, it's so funny because when I first when he first sent it to me, I'm like, I. Of course you drew it on PowerPoint. Yeah. You know, it's not like you have one of those pads yeah. and stuff. You're jockey. You don't have that kind of stuff. So, but <laughs> it's not as obvious when you get it. You just get the finished product and it literally looks like my daughter drew it with her left hand. She's right-handed, yeah. by the way. And But the concept was legitimate. It was sound. The concept was like, is cool. what the Echelon Front logo is at yeah. this time. That's what you're pushing and man received. But the comedic but was, the part of is, it. I tried to explain it to you yeah. nine different times and you kept sending me back junk yeah and well, finally i said okay well, picture's worth a thousand words yes sir it is i don't feel like explaining this a thousand times yes let's just send him a a, a rudimentary sketch sure. of the concept yes which you then 
chiseled out into right. you know glory. Yeah, um, emphasis on rudimentary, by the way. But the the comedic part of it is how it looked. It looked like a child drew it. So now, anytime like if you ask him, "Oh yeah, have you been into art?" Boom, that flashes in my head, and he says yes. Boom, makes it more funny. Yeah. I'm gonna yeah. post it online so we all can have a good laugh. Check. Nonetheless, yes, Warwick podcast is out. Um, that interview with John Bozak yep. is very good. Like, yep. especially like, cause it is, he talks about getting like frustrated with stuff and yeah, bro, that's how drawing that's is. Little kids. Bro, it was good. Don't forget about warrior kids soap from Irish Oaks ranch.com that young Aiden is making on his farm. If you get soap, you can stay clean. Yeah, of course. <laughs> also, we have a YouTube channel. If you're interested in the video version and see what Mitch looks like. Hell yeah. I'm, uh, I'm handsome. <laughs> you might be the buffest guest we've ever had, right? I don't know. Buffest guest? Yeah. Like Out of 185? Yeah. We've only had like probably <laughs> 10 or 15 guests. Well, Tim get, Kennedy. Don't get excited. No, 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 oh, Tim yeah, Kennedy. yeah, Tim Kennedy. Tim Kennedy. Yeah, 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 Tim. Do you know how many fucking times people, you and Tim Kennedy need to fight? And I'm like, Tim <laughs> Ken- have you seen Ken- Tim Kennedy? He's way bigger than me, first of all. Yeah. He fights at 85. I know. Yeah. And what do you fight at? 70. Yeah. 170. Yeah. I've fought, around I, I have fought at 185 as well. Yeah. I was a champion at 185 too. Um, I've, I walk around at close to 200 yeah, pounds. That, yeah. So, yeah, that was... No, Tim is like 215, 220. He's a big right? dude. I've, yeah. I've, I've met awesome. him in, uh, just in passing. Yeah. Um, I shook his hand one time, but... Yeah, he's he's a big dude, and uh, but I, I was always I always tell you like that's not. Well, we have like kind of like similar stories. Like, there's it wouldn't make sense for us to fight. Yeah, they just want to see. Yeah, see what up. Psychological yeah. warfare is an, an album, album with tracks. Wait, wait, no, back to YouTube. We have a YouTube about, channel. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna demo, I'm gonna uh, what I, what I call explain the value of YouTube. You just did. You can see what Mitch looks That's like. That's just part of the value. That's oh, okay. just like the, a big part. I don't mean, get that, it wrong. I was going to say, huge. don't, uh, don't undersell that. Yeah, yeah, it's huge. <laughs> but, you know, we have some excerpts on there is what I was going to say. You know, if you don't yeah, want to watch the whole true. podcast, there's excerpts on there. Anyway, a some lot of, of good, them, cool Some stuff. of them are enhanced by Echo. Yeah. Some. Who puts his art work onto the video. And go. they might be slightly better than my original Echelon Front maybe, logo. Maybe not. Maybe know. a little bit better. Then some of them are over enhanced. Yes. Like some people think. Yes. Some people think they're under enhanced. Yes, I would agree with both. Regardless. Time time. Nonetheless, we have a YouTube channel. That's the point. Yeah. And oh, yeah. if you want to, you can smash, smash. the like button. Sure. Comment, uh, subscribe, whatever the three things yeah. they always say. Anyway, yes, yeah, Psychological Warfare is an album with tracks. If you're running into moments of weakness, put in Psychological Warfare. You'll, it'll solve your problem. No weakness. Weakness. Uh, overcome if the if you want the visual version of that yeah. go to flipsidecanvas.com yeah my brother Dakota Meyer has a little company where he's making things that you hang on your wall artistic things some people call them artistic things Dig it. Yeah. <laughs> and you can uh, get those if you want him to make a special one yeah hit him up on Twitter do some custom if it's like if it seems to get some traction yeah he can put it out yeah, he's good. He's doing good stuff yeah. on there. Yeah, I check him out from time to time. Flipsidecanvas.com. Dig it. Also, on it. So, you go to onit.com slash jocko. You can get a lot of good stuff on there, including kettlebells, other workout stuff. And bring my ring. I'm going to Hawaii, by the way, mm. for one month. I know. People, I know. people really don't 
they they undersell Hawaii. I feel like I feel that was the same way. When Both. I went there for the first time, I was blown away. Where'd you go? Uh, Maui and um, Oahu. I'm going to Kauai. Yeah. One month. I heard that's beautiful. Yes, sir. It is. So I'm bringing the rings. Your request, by the way. That was one of the selling points of rings is that you can bring them places too. That wasn't really my request. It was a statement. Yeah, statement. Uh, recommendation. Recommendation, sure. Maybe yeah. reluctant recommendation. You sure did. No, it, was a re- it was a legitimate recommendation. Nonetheless, I'm taking it. I'm taking them to Hawaii. Anyway, point is the rings I have are from on it. You can get those. You can get kettlebells. You can get, I have this, okay, they have this mineral electrolyte uh, like mix, right? And I think I might have just enhanced what I call the mega mix. It's the pre-workout mega mix. There's two. There's one for jiu-jitsu, one for lifting. The one for jiu-jitsu is dis- one scoop of discipline, a little bit of Gatorade. So it's a half Gatorade, half water mix. Optional Gatorade. Some people, they don't like Gatorade. Some people. Yeah. And that's cool. At all. Put, you can put lemon juice in there if you want. Sure. Um, like I said, the discipline, the electrolytes from on it, and then uh, I want to add your greens. I'll hook you up. Yeah, that'll be the mega mega mix. That's pre jujitsu. Mm-hmm. Is there a certain time where you got to take those greens? No, just whenever, take right? Them, get them in. Take them all all day. Yeah, boom. Every day. So that's going to be the pre jujitsu. The pre lifting is essentially the same thing, except you put a, like a caffeinated pre workout in it if you're into it. Anyway, anyway, back to on it. That's where you get it. There's a lot of cool stuff on you're, on there. You're quite a large a large human being yourself, man. Looking good. Yeah, but I don't <laughs> sound big though. Thank you. I respect that. I'm sorry. Does my voice not match how I look? You know, I, I, I can't say because... Because you saw me I saw you and time. you started talking. Yeah. So it's kind of ingrained. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, there you go. Maybe not, though. Had had you not spoke, I'd been like, damn. Yeah. This dude's probably fucking got a jacked voice. Yeah, yeah. Like Jocko or something. Yeah. Mm. But it's melodious. It's not jacked. That's right. I, yeah. I have a high-pitched voice. Melodious. Yeah, very melodious, yes. Interesting. Anyway, yeah. Got some books. Way the Warrior Kid 3. It's out. It's called Where There's a Will. Teaching kids about how to go harder. That's a little lesson in this book. Yeah. You got to push harder and also teaching them about their ego and how their ego will get them in trouble. Mm. Everyone wishes they would have learned about ego earlier because it makes your life better. Of course, there's Way the Warrior Kid 1 and Way the Warrior Kid 2. Mark's mission. Those books are for kids to learn to get on the path. If they're a little bit younger than that, you can get a Mikey and the Dragons. They can learn about how to overcome their fear. There's actual pragmatic protocols that you can take as a human being to overcome what you're afraid of. Why not learn that when you're five years old? That's my question. Why not? Because you didn't know about the book Mikey and the Dragons. Now you know about it. Your kids are just out there conquering fears which is a positive thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's a good one too because you can like, you know, if you have a bedtime routine mm-hmm. you know, you read to your you know, four or five-year-old before they can read, it's one where you can read it. Not only can you read the whole thing, if you yeah. want, because it's like a 15, 16-minute, yeah. you know, but they'll want to hear it again. So it's yeah. like a, you know, so when you're real, while you're reading it over and over again, that lesson will be inst- you know, ingrained and instilled deeper in and deeper rather than time. just one of the many books. Repetition. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, then we got the Discipline Freedom Field Manual. Mm-hmm. If you go, hey Jocko, can you post your workouts? Yes, they're in the Discipline Equals Freedom Field Manual. Mm-hmm. Hey Jocko, what do you think you should do in a situation like this? Oh, it's in the Discipline Equals Freedom Field Manual. Hey Jocko, what do you eat? It's in the manual. What's your sleep routine? It's in the manual. Do you take naps? 
It's in the manual. It's all in there. So the Discipline Equals Freedom Field Manual, the guide to getting after it. If you want the audio version of that, it's on iTunes and Amazon Music and all the MP3 things. And then, of course, we got Extreme Ownership and the Dichotomy of Leadership written by me and my brother, Leif Babin. Those are going to help you become a better leader in your business, with your family, and in your life. Watch it happen. Of course, we have Echelon Front, which is my leadership consultancy, and what we do is solve problems through leadership because all the problems that you're having in your life right now in an organization are leadership problems. I don't care what they are. And if you want to solve those problems, you have to fix your leadership, and that's what we do. It's me, Leif Babin, J.P. Donnell, Dave Burke. Good deal, Dave. Yes. <laughs> Flynn Cochran, Mike Sorelli, Mike Baima, and Jason Gardner. Go to echelonfront.com for details. We also have EF Online which is online leadership training, which is something that's hard to comprehend. How are you gonna take leadership and teach people leadership from an online thing, an online training program? Well, you read about it, you take tests on it, and then you get put in scenarios, interactive scenarios on the computer where you have to make decisions. Mm -hmm. So that's EF Online. Then we have the muster which is a leadership conference. It's a leadership event, something gathering, like that. I gathering, think, gathering, sure, gathering. Yeah, it's all, it's all in well, the it's above. Well, it's actually the muster really? is what it is. Yeah, it's a, it's a muster. It is, it is, but it's the muster. The muster, yes. So look, the muster, leadership, they've all sold out and they're all gonna sell out. The next one is September 19th and 20th in Denver. After that, December 4th and 5th in Sydney, Australia. Check out extremeownership.com for details if you wanna come. Don't wait to register, because then you won't be able to go, and you'll be mad at me. Yeah. And I, I and you'll send me a, a, like let's say you're my friend, let's say you're someone I actually know. Sure, and hypothetically. You, and, and, and we're doing a, a muster up in San Francisco. Yeah. And you send me a text that says, hey, sorry for letting you know late, uh, you said you were gonna hook me up with some tickets, it's cool, I can make it, and I'm bringing two friends. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And I'm like, well first of all, no. <laughs> because it's literally sold out. It's not like, yeah. hey, it's sold out, but we can still let people in. That's not sold out. Yeah. It's sold That's, out. Yeah. So don't wait. And then of course we have EF Overwatch where we take proven combat leaders from special operations, from combat aviation, and put them into companies in the civilian sector that need leadership. Leadership is the most important thing on the battlefield. Why not get battle-tested leaders to help out you inside your business. Go to efoverwatch.com, and if you wanna ask me a question, us a question, you wanna give me an answer? Did I mess something up today? Probably. You wanna let me know about that? Please bring it. Mitch, as he said, he is on Instagram. Mitch underscore Aguiar, A-G-U-I-A-R. And Echo and I are, well, we're on Twitter and Instagram. And on Dash Feischbuchen. Cool. Echo is at Echo Charles. And I am at Jocko Willink. Echo, anything else? Nothing else. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me very much. I really appreciate the uh, hospitality and opportunity. Right on. Awesome. Well, Mitch, thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. And uh, thanks for your work in the teams. And I'm sure you're going to keep putting forth maximum effort to smash people in the cage. Look forward to seeing that. 
And to all the other vets out there, and to those that are still in uniform, thank you for standing watch over freedom for our great nation and to our police and law enforcement and firefighters and paramedics and EMTs and dispatchers and correctional officers and border patrol, secret service, and all the first responders. I travel around the country and I run into you all the time and I see what you're doing out there working and working hard. And the reason that we live safely here in our country is you. So thank you for holding the line here at home. And everyone else out there, remember that you can't hit the pause button. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all if you get knocked down or you get tripped up or you think that something isn't fair. It doesn't matter. You still don't get to stop. So get back up. Bite down on your mouthpiece and go get after it. And until next time, this is Mitch Aguiar and Echo and Jocko. Out.